The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Welcome everyone to Neo Reality Collective. So we had to try, so I had to try and do something a little bit different with this. So as part of my experimental plan of relaunching this the show, I opted to instead say, well, since the information highway is so fast and so massive, I decided to test out some big things in order to get things more progressive. I will still be launching the show every Sunday. That's not going to change. Every episode is going to be released on Sunday, but now. Especially with Anchor.fm's little at placing of video audio files, I can make it much easier for this. So I have decided that I'm going to go move forward with this and we'll be doing recordings. I'll be doing recording on every Wednesday and every Saturday, the first half of the week and the last half of the week. And then Sunday we'll go and release it all together into a massive episode so expect that to be the current plan down the road for now depending on how much news stuff is on but <clears throat> let's get right into things the medium has made profitable all after just a few days on gamespot.com the medium a game that only released a few days ago and also launched on xbox game pass has managed to cover its production and marketing costs now, the future sales of Bloomberg team makes on the unique horror title will be profit. Not too bad for a game that only released on two platforms. Shared in Polish publication Money.pl, Bloomberg team said the game's sales have already eclipsed what it cost the studio to develop and promote the game, which is available on Series X and S and PC. It's also available on Xbox Game Pass for the platforms, but unlike many other Game Pass titles, it isn't on Xbox One. This makes profitability even more impressive as Xbox Series X and X has only a fraction of the install base as the older console. It's unclear how Game Pass factored into the sales figures or if it managed to turn a profit even before factoring this in. Game Pass has been extremely popular among many Xbox users, and with Game Pass Ultimate, they don't need a separate gold account. First party games such as Gears Tactics and the upcoming Halo Infinite launch on the service the same day, A the release in stores. The medium has well uses a unique gameplay hook with split screen view that allows you to see into more than one room at once, which is useful for solving puzzles and likely for having your pants scared off. Bloober has honed its craft over the last several years with horror games like Blair Witch and Layers of Fear 2, but this is arguably the highest profile game to date because it isn't a first part Microsoft game. It's ma- it may not stay on Game Pass permanently. If you want to play it, GameSpot suggests to do it sooner rather than later. And they had a bunch of big reviews. GameSpot gave it a uh, 9 out of 10, which is a big deal. Oh, but there was also divisive comments on it. I'll have to see where that goes when I start playing it and make a video about it on my Pop Culture Omniversa channel. But I have heard about the sales about this. It is looking pretty interesting. It is looking quite fascinating work. But I'm glad that they managed to recoup the costs with all this in mind. It's, it's pretty impressive. 
only a few days after it came out, it's already made their profit. So that's selling and how expensive this probably was, depending, since video game development costs nowadays are very massive. It's very hard to imagine game developments, for even for indie published games, to be on the small scale in terms of budgeting. So congratulations to Bloomer Team and their immediate profits. It's, we'll see where else is in store for them down the road. A leak has seemingly confirmed MLB The Show is headed to Xbox Series. So there's been a report coming out that... <clears throat> there's been a report coming out that, yes, leak, uh, that a leak came out, and which was later confirmed this week, confirming that MLB The Show, which was a PlayStation exclusive series, is heading towards the Xbox, which further shows that this is the end of the console war. At least for some people. Uh, <laughs> So, and it shows that the PS5 and Xbox One version of the game in complete with the PlayStation logo and everything. The covers, which Sony has yet to officially confirm, has features the San Diego parody shortstop, Fernando, I can't pronounce his last name. And he was in the running of the National League's MVP award in 2020 during the shortened season, and the show franchise has sometimes given rising superstars an opportunity to grace the cover in the past. It also got, always gone the way Sony pro- probably hoped, such as when, I can't pronounce his name, was on the 2015 show and ended up on one of the worst seasons of his career. At least for the Xbox version, it doesn't appear it will be eligible for a free next-gen upgrade, but the box art only lists the Xbox One, though we will presume that it will also be on Xbox X and Series S version. And it will certainly be a little bit of a flux for Sony to only offer the best version of the game of its own system. So, Sony first announced in late 2019 that it was ending the PlayStation exclusivity for MLB The Show at the time. And you said 2021 will be the earliest for the series to expand to other platforms, and both Phil Spencer and Nintendo America Twitter accounts praise this move, and it's unclear if this game will also will be coming to Nintendo Switch. We'll also, we all will know for sure if the leak was correct by February 1st, which was confirmed. Earned Seven Evans, C- Sean Evans, and Hot Ones will unveil the cover interview, and we'll start to, during a special episode of the show, Fernando can take the heater, but can he handle the heat? This will be the first time a baseball simulation game came to Xbox and Nintendo platforms in nearly a decade. The MLB 2K series received mixed to negative reviews over the last several years, ultimately culminating in its being cancelled by Take-Two to focus on the NBA 2K series and the WWE series, which fell apart, but now it looks like things are starting to get back up again. At this point, Xbox players only had to play RB1 baseball series to play. These were arcade styles, not really, quote, considered by GameSpot to be worse than the 2K series. So, we got this big thing going on with MLB The Show coming to multiple platforms. Uh, I believe there was a deal at the time with EA that stopped it from being, that caused it to be a Sony exclusive. But now that they're like further diversifying its catalog by making it a multi-platform event, it's pretty pretty awesome. I'm pretty impressed. I don't play the baseball games, but I, I, I could probably take this interested. But... Yeah, let's get into some dark stuff. So, everyone remembers the Frontier mod. It was very popular. It was taken down this week, and it was subsequently restored this week. It was taken down on January 29th, and then it was re-released a few days ago with some removed content due to deeply disturbing content by shared by a member of the team. According to the team's project lead, Thomas, a.k.a. TJ Spy, who delivered a message on the mod's Discord server, the artist in question had posted animated... Made it, uh, 
pedophilic content on their personal artist accounts. The artist has been removed from the team, and the developers went to work removing the various inflammatory content used in the game and by said person. They told Euro, he told Eurogamer, We have received requests to remove some content provided to us by artists and voice actors, so we'll be complying with these requests. I will be pushing the final build to Nexus mods and waiting for the Steam to build to be accepted. They also noted that this update for the Frontier will be the final official build purse for the mod. They go on to say their team is too burnt out and upset about the recent happenings to keep working on the Frontier. The, the mod has been set to hidden Nexus mod, and the official website has been taken down while the development team deals with the controversy. The mod still planned to hit Steam and won't receive any future updates once it goes live. The Frontier caught heat for other controversial content on top of this debacle. The team removed incendiary scenes, such as instances where players could have relations with a Deathclaw Death or enslave an NPC companion named America from the game after players took to social media to voice concerns about the, quote, fetishy content within the Frontier, which is a massive mod for the critically acclaimed New Vegas game. Game dropped earlier this month for PC players who own the base game. It added over 150 new weapons and more than 30 hours of gameplay content to Fallout New Vegas. So, I had heard this. It was restored later on with some of the, with the removed content out. But when I had heard this, I was like, and I saw the images and dialogue, and I was thinking, oh fuck. I mean, just fuck. I. I I'm amazed that was... How was that... I'm a little amazed that wasn't on oversight. I'm a little amazed by that. I was I was surprised and a little disturbed. I've heard... I've seen this type of stuff. Not in that exact description, but in terms of where the creator tends to... Or the writer or something tends to put their own ideologies into a game, into a product... And I don't want to get into that because it was very weird, especially when they did the Powerpuff Girl reboot and they had a writer get, put himself in the story, which was weird. Very, very weird from what I heard. But yeah, that that was a bad day for a lot of fans. And this just reminded me of that when I had heard that. So yeah, I'm glad they took action and removed the content. I'm pretty sure they're gonna make someone's gonna probably have a copy of the original OG content, but uh, yeah, I probably do some very sick things with it. But uh, yeah, yep. In other news, Valve is getting sued for abusing Steam to keep PC game prices high. Valve Incorporated finds another lawsuit on its desk as a punitive class action lawsuit filed earlier this week alleges is that the video game company Giant and is abusing Steam by requiring developers to sell their games on the same price across all platforms once it enters the PC game's distributor store. The suit, spotted by The Hollywood Reporter, handled by attorneys at the Ohio-based law firm Voya Sater, states that Valve's most favored nations clause in its Steam distribution agreement forces developers to agree to that the price of the PC game on the Steam will be the same price as developers sell their PC games on other platforms. The attorney notes that Valve is abusing the MFN clause by making it difficult for other platforms, such as Epic Game Store, Itch.io, and Microsoft Store, to compete against Steam FNN. That also hinders innovation by creating an artificial barrier for to entry for platforms. When a market, such as this one, is highly concentrated, a new entrant can benefit consumers by undercutting the incumbent prices. The ability to provide CC, PC gamers uh, to consumers is that lower prices is one way a firm and a new entrant and it could gain market share. If this market functioned properly, that is, 
is if Steam FFN did not exist and other platforms were able to compete on price, platforms competing with Steam would be able to provide the same or higher margins to, develop, to game developers while simultaneously providing lower prices to consumers. The focus of the lawsuit centers on game developers and consumers. As it notes, Valve is the dominant platform for game developers to distribute and sell PC games. Because of Steam's ubiquity, the attorneys seek to disrupt Steam's market hold in order to make PC distributions selling more equitable for makers and players. The lawsuit comes not long after after Valve was accused of ripping off a patent. The company ended up implementing its now discontinued Steam controller. The lawsuit points out specifically that the rear-sided paddles on the controller, it did not make mention of the tripod-style control on its face, which contracted greatly with practically every other console compatible with Steam. So, yeah, this is... Valve is not looking so good. Okay, this is a problem I was having, and Jim Sterling brought this up, how the only way Valve could, in this market of, of power and trying to be the PC gaming war, and one of my friends and I have talked about this for years, where we discussed about the whole multi multiple launchers and stores that make exclusive deals where PC was a little supposed to be more easier for players when they want to play a game, whereas in consoles you had exclusive deals, but PC was mostly left untouched. Now it's been tainted by multiple launchers. There isn't that, oh, you, to get this, you need to get Origin, or to get this, you need to get this. They look at like this, trying to hit, they're trying to get rid of that practice, but it's a transition, I think. And when it came to Epic Games making these high, big exclusive deals, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, the only way you can beat them at their own game is not by beating them at their own game, even though they try to think that the idea to defeat them is, well, you have your own original IPs. That's what Jim Sterling pointed out, that Valve could make Half-Life 3 finally and they certainly are alluding that they're going to do that with half-life alex's vr ending so they could do that and release it on steam and thus they would have an exclusive deal on their own platform because they're also the developer therefore they have the right to control where they where their game goes and if it goes stays on steam and consoles then epic games gets nothing out of it but Sadly, that's not the case. Valve is getting sued for abusing Steam to keep PC game prices high, and that just sucks for everyone. So, on January 31st, Battleborn has been officially shut down. Gearbox Software's Hero Shooter is going offline today for good, rendering the game unplayable for more than four years after its launch. Due to the fate of Overwatch, yeah, Overwatch, the more popular game, the two games are quite similar, with heroes spawning a variety of moves and whatnot, but it was Blizzard's game that caught on. The price of Battleborn quickly fell, and Gearbox shifted, well, gears to other games like Borderlands 3. That was a much more successful project for the studio, releasing on everything from Xbox One to Google Stadia, and receiving several DLC packs. Battleborn actually began its life, sort of, as a completely different game. Brothers in Arms Furious 4 was announced first as a Tarantino-style take on World War II franchises. 
but it was eventually scrapped and some of his own elements were incorporated to Balborn. Yeah, the Brothers and R franchise is long hiatus. It isn't dead. A television series is in development and Geeks and Randy Pitchford confirmed that the studio is still working on the series just a few days ago at the time of this article. However, he stressed that he couldn't share any of them or make any promises, so it doesn't sound like the company is ready to actively commit to announcing a game. But as part of the whole can't share and make any promises, that is probably for the best considering what he did. Yeah. I never played Battleborn, so luckily I did not get emotionally invested in it. So, well, so yeah, sorry to all those who loved it, but yeah, it is what it is. So, GameStop and Reddit seem to be having this prime, stock prime drama unfolding. Many on social media remarked that it would be excellent fodder for a feature film. And because we have no idea what the hell is going on these days with the Hollywood industry, they decide to say, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's take that idea and put it on our own. So Arthur Ben Munich, who wrote the books that got turned to the social media in 21, has sold his idea for a book about the GameStop Reddit situation to MGM after a bidding war. In his trademark humor, he celebrated the sale with some silly tweets. tweets and also said he also have Elon Musk and Barstool founder Dave Pornity. He, two prominent figures in the ongoing genre will play themselves in the feature film. Uh, yeah. According to Deadline's report, James Bond studio MGM won the rights to the book proposal of the Anti-Social Network, which follows the story of amateur investors, gamers, and internet trolls who brought Wall Street to its knees. This is still an ongoing story, and the book isn't written yet, but the, but his te- but the writer and his team are said to have begun shopping the idea at the end of the last week. On Friday night, MGM made a deal to acquire the rights to the said book. The report said it's also worth noting that it's not uncommon for a movie studio to buy the rights to the idea of a book before it's even written. Maddox is a prolific author who penned more than 20 novels. Arguably, his best, most famous work is The Accidental Billionaires. Here's The Founding of Facebook, a tale of, quote, sex, money, genius, and betrayal that was adapted into the social networking movie. He also wrote Bringing Down the House, Inside Story of Six MIT Students Who Took Vegas for Millions, which was adapted into the Kevin Spacey movie, 21. And we all know what happened to Kevin Spacey. So it's expected to be a volatile week for the U.S. stock market. Some believe GameStop's price will climb higher to the moon, and as they say, while others are projecting a decline back to normalcy, only time will tell. So I was amazed when I heard this. So I don't know what the whole full-fledged details of what happened with the whole GameStop thing, but when I heard that there was actual movie development now, the rights at least were bought, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that fast? It was that fast? Man, what will be what will the internet think next? I remember how Microsoft had announced Bethesda's acquisition deal. It's been set to decide on March 5th by the European Union. The EU is set to rule on Microsoft's big purchase on ZeniMax by March 5th. Filing for on the commission's rip, European Commission's website shows that the tech giant requested approval for the deal on January 29th. Reuters reports that the EA antitrust regulators can approve the deal during the preliminary review stage or open a full-scale university if it has concern, an investigation if it has concerns. Microsoft announced its intention to purchase ZeniMax last September with the blockbuster deal boosting Xbox first-party offerings and setting it up as a bet or compete with Sony and Nintendo. Pending approval, Microsoft has said it intends to deal to close, to, for the deal to close by the second half of its current physical year. 
Zamax is the parent company of Bethesda Work, Bethesda Softworks, Erickson's many studios, including Bethesda Game Studios, id Software, among many others. As outlined in Xbox blog post first announcing the acquisition, the deals include studios behind franchises like The Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Wolfenstein, Doom, Dishonored, Prey, and Quake, along with the upcoming games like Starfield, increasing the Xbox Game Studio lineup from 13 internal studios to 23. So, I'm still excited for this. I really still hope they fire Todd Howard just for the sake that he's lost his way. But that that that's just probably asking too much. I'm curious to know what the EU will decide on this case. It's, even though I think they're both American companies, but Microsoft is globally reaching. I think that might be a reason why they're doing this. I'll have to see. Apple CEO Tim Cook is set to sit down for seven-hour disposition in the Fortnite lawsuit. The ongoing legal battle between Apple and Epic Games will require time from the CEO Tim Cook. A judge has ruled must, that Cook must sit for a seven-hour disposition, rejecting Apple's request that he be exercised. Apple Insider reports that the case is set to go on trial in May 2021, but the testimonies and dispositions are being requested ahead of that start date. U.S. Magistry Judge Thomas Hickson had rejected Apple's request on the grounds that his argument only limits the length of the disposition. He also rejected Apple's offer to, for the disposition to last at least four hours. In these three antitrust actions, the fact that the case go way beyond the historical facts of what happened when... There's really no one like Apple's CEO who can testify about how Apple views competition in the various markets that are core to its business model. The judge also rejected the Apple's request for a subpoena documents for Samsung regarding its own distribution of Fortnite. So, the legal battle beginning at 2020 when Epic Games updated its Fortnite app in such a way that circumvented the Apple's internal payment method, as well as Google's Android store. This has resulted in the app being pulled from both marketplaces. We carried out the legal challenge and PR campaign that Epic has ready to go, apparently anticipating the move. Apple accused Epic accused Apple of antitrust violations, so the outcome of this case far-reaching ramifications for developers going forward. So, as part of the growing war of consumer protections and practices and everything, I wrote an article about this for uh, Darkerholics. Check them out about the whole issue. And I said that Epic Games is not a hero in the story, even if it looks like it's being a noble story, because Epic Games has done just as much as shadier practices. So, it's not really... So, I'm still thinking, like, whoever wins this fight, we could ultimately lose in this, depending on how Epic Games handles the stuff. Apple, however, probably loses either way in this, but we'll have to see when the case goes. Microsoft's expecting Xbox Series X shortages to last until either June or later. Yeah, Microsoft is still fans to expect the ongoing shortages to continue through the summer, Microsoft's head of investor relations, Mike Spencer, said in an interview with the New York Times that he expects supplies to be limited to at least through June, according to the New York Times. There is no, this is no big surprise. The CFO, Amy Hood, recently also discussed how she believes demand will continue to outstrip supply for the next-gen consoles for some time to come. Despite the shortages, Microsoft recently posted $5 billion in quarterly revenue for its Xbox division, which represents an all-new haul-time high in the quarterly revenue. Spencer confirmed that Microsoft sold every new Xbox unit that the company could make during the system's launch quarter, and this helped boost the Xbox hardware by a whopping 86% for the period. Recently, AMD CEO Lisa Su, whose company provides the guts for the next Gen Xbox as well as PS5, said recently the supply shortages for the game consoles, desktops, GPUs, and CPUs 
who are most likely to continue until the second half of 2021. This tracks with what Spencer's saying as well. Another Microsoft employee with the last name Spencer, Phil Spencer, has said he spoke directly with Sue to gauge the situation to try and get as much supplies as humanly possible. It really just comes down to physics and engineering. We're not really holding them back. We're building them as fast as we can. We have all the assembly lines going. I was on the phone last week for Lisa Sue at AMD asking, how do we get more? How do we get more? So it's something that we're constantly working on. It's not just us. I think gaming has really come into its own in 2020. Yeah, especially when everyone's trapped at home and if they don't do something, they're going to lose their minds. We're not going to be worried about that pesky little detail that people point out. Due in part of their sales for both the Series X and PS5, the Nintendo Switch, not either the newer or more powerful system, was the top-selling home console of 2020 in the U.S. So, yeah. Bad times for all of us. Whoopee. So, I bet that's going to be a kick in the pants for people when they start to restock and then the sales go down again because they bought everything. So, how long do you think when they do restock, things are going to go crazy, right? Yeah, I see that going going so well. Sonic is speeding through ahead with another anime series on Netflix. Sonic Prime 3D, the new series, will con- consist of 3D animation. Obvious, is coming in 2022. The announcement comes from the Netflix band NX, which is usually used for properties like sci-fi and anime. It says that this production of Sega, Wild Brain Studio, and Man of Action Entertainment, Wild Brain is a licensing and distribution company with Man of Action as a writing studio that has worked on series like Big Hero 6, Mega Man Fully Charged, and Bakugan Battle Planet. The tweet didn't share much more details in this particular spin that Sonic Prime will take on the series. Most of the most recent series, Sonic Boom, tied into a video game of the same name, which premiered in 2014 and it ran for two seasons and was also a 3D animated series. Though the series isn't coming until 2022, the announcement appears to be coming past part of the 30th anniversary festivities. Sega has already announced a bundle of new Sonic merch coming this year as well. Netflix first slipped the word about Sonic Prime in December but quickly deleted the tweet. Sonic that also got his big screen debut in Sonic the Hedgehog movie last year due to the coronavirus pandemic pushing competition out of the way. It ended up being the top grossing superhero movie upsetting Marvel for the first time in a decade, which was to be expected because because we all suck very much. So it's just telling what's going on with all this and I I honestly believe had Sonic not done the editing process of fixing the CGI, it probably would have not won. It probably would have only won it barely just by the fact that they had no other movies going on. So, props to them. Let's hope the anime series is much better. Warcraft movie director Duncan Jones is pitching a TV show. Oh, it seems Jones said on Twitter that he's, pitched to set, he's set to pitch a new TV show on Monday, saying this. The son of David Bowie has said on Twitter, I'm doing my first real pitch tomorrow morning for TV. I'm quite excited. Understandably, Jones did not elaborate further on the pitch in any capacity. As such, we don't know anything about the story or what streaming platforms and networks he might be pitching to. 
John Jones set directed Moon and Source Code before directing 2016's Warcraft, which was based based on the Blizzard game franchise. It did not resonate so strongly with critics and it stumbled to the box office, but it pulled a very impressive $139 million at the box office to become the highest grossing video game in movie history. Jones had plans for sequels, but these may never see the light of day due to the fact that it did not succeed as much. Jones also directed 2018's Mute, starring Paul Rudd, and he is also set to direct the comic book movie Rogue Trooper. Her clearly a busy person, given his experience in the history of sci-fi, it would be intriguing to see him branch out into TV space with an ongoing story, but it's clearly early days for whatever project he's pissing, pitching. And there are no guarantees in Hollywood. Game of Thrones veteran Brian Cogman recently shared a story about how he pitched a killer robot movie to 18 different places, and he struck out with every one. Yeah. Yeah. Also, wasn't it also said by the studio or the director, Duncan, saying that, oh, I also have an extended, massive extended cut of the movie, but you all have to actually do, you actually have to give me money for you to go ahead and buy the extended cut, where it's basically sounding like it was, like, holding the movie, the real, the big, bigger movie hostage that could have probably improved it, which, of course, Hollywood does that. And meanwhile, speaking of and speaking of things, Nintendo continues to deny that it will release a Switch Pro in 2021. Saying this in an interview, said it was not planning to make an announcement anytime soon, and that there has no new model plans beyond Super Mario and Monster Hunter Rise limited edition consoles due to release in February this month and March. Yeah, Bloomberg tried to get some more information. Nintendo, yeah, considering that earlier this month data miners scarce M. And revealed that Nintendo's latest firmware update contained mentions of an upgraded Switch console code named Ola, and that device will also include an OLED screen, as with the ability to output to 4K when docked. Ola claimed that the necessary Tegra X1 Plus chip may be moved to the Switch's dock. If Nintendo does release a revamped console, it will arrive on the back of a very successful financial quarter for the company. The Switch has now sold 80 million units in total across both models, which now puts the console ahead of the lifetime sales of the 3DS. Animal Crossing Horizon can also be found on 39% of Switch consoles at Nintendo's relaxing island getaway experience has sold over 30 million units in total worldwide. But the recent Pokemon Shore and Shield games are also the first games in the Pocket Monster series to break the 20 million unit stock sold marks since Pokemon Gold and Silver. Nintendo's current console and software library continues to be a force to be reckoned with. And I think they're just trying to keep it up because they don't want leak to confirm the leak. They want to make a spectacle out of it. Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely see that. Oh, man. And it's going to be a wild ride, I think. But, uh, yeah, we got to keep going, everyone. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. Fortnite teeth suggests more Mandalorian content coming. Fortnite appears to be bringing even more Mandalorian content. A teaser video released on a Fortnite official Twitter account shows the hero of the popular Star Wars series viewing a hologram. The tweet shows Mando viewing a hologram with an offer for a job. In the Mandalorian series, the main character makes his way as a bounty hunter before his career takes a radical turn. Due to the obligations to protect the child, a.k.a. Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogar... Gruger or whatever. The game has already quite a bit of Mandalorian content, including, skin, including model skins, Baby Yoda, the appearance of his signature ship, the Razor Crest. It's unclear what else Happy Games have in mind as a tie-in for the Mandalorian series. It could even be just using the Mountain Hunter's role as a way to introduce another pop culture element altogether. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I really don't. Every time I hear the words Star Wars and Fortnite together, I'm thinking... 
oh god, they're gonna put a tie-in that's essential material in here, like they did with Rise of Skywalker. Is that it? Because if that is the case, I'm done. We can't do this again. So, as we continue, the war of streaming services is... There is now a betting pool going on. Costa Rica-based online sportsbook in Casino Borvidia currently taking bets on who will play Harry Potter in the live-action TV series that are reportedly in discussions over at HBO Max, taking bets on specific actors and also hypothetical future actors' age range. As this writing, uh, the odds are looking for most favorable to James McAvoy John, or Tom Hiddleston. Also an actor between the ages of 30 and 40. The current Dark Horse bets are a teenage actor between the age of 13 and 16 and also for Daniel Radcliffe to himself to reprise his role. Given how early days the series is, and literally anything can happen at this point, but it's best to temper expectations The Hollywood Report indicated that the series is, as of this writing, only being discussed in early stage exploration meetings. Something the series and Harry Potter fans alike will have to contend with is the fact that the author has since, of the, has since the series of books and films concluded proven to be a very controversial figure. Also known as a terrible person in my eyes, but that's a different matter. Still, Romania still worked for a franchise despite becoming a polarizing, aka transphobic person with recurring comments about gender and identity, along with a new open world game coming out for 2022, Hogwarts Legacy in development, and having to announce that she is not part of this project, which is telling how bad the situation's gotten. But I'm pretty sure she's still gonna get royalty fees out of this. Yeah, my grandmother loves Harry Potter, so she's probably the only one that's probably gonna be interested in in, in this household where, I'm, where I live. Oh, and my Matrix Four title reportedly leaked, but it's a journey to get there. My, the Matrix Four's official title has been apparently leaked, and it's fitting in with the rest of the sequels. Well, the movie set to hit theaters in 20, on December twenty first, twenty twenty one, is titled Matrix Resurrection. Oh, damn it. So, when I heard this was like, someone on Twitter, one of my followers, pointed out that, oh, come on, you, you had the perfect opportunity to say, and I quote, Matrix rebooted. That was perfect. That could have been the perfect name for it. Especially since you're bringing back Keanu Reeves, even though he's dead. And everyone, and virtually everyone else, including Agent Smith, was supposed to come back, but the actor was too busy with other stuff. But yeah, I, I see some people say that that they should be called Matrix Rebooted, the Matrix Four Rebooted. Just make a joke about it. Yeah, perfect title opportunity missed, everyone. Perfect title opportunity missed. Dolph Lundgren and has also announced that Aquaman Two, Aquaman on the Seven Seas, may start filming this summer. Aquaman star Dolph Lundgren, who played King Nereus in the first film, stated that. Filming for Aquaman may begin in the summer of 2021. I'm saying shooting in London, I may be doing Aquaman 2 this summer. London said during a virtual Wizard World panel on Sunday, as reported by comicbook.com. And that's coming out of the following year in theaters, they hope. So, so, (laughs) yeah. Aquaman is set to be filming in the summer, hopefully. We'll have to see, especially given how the Snyder Cut could affect things. Things, but we'll have to see where that goes. But I, I, I liked Aquaman for, for all intents and purposes. 
at times. I, I get there are some concerns with it, but especially with the actress who plays Mira. But we'll have to see where all that goes, if they'll recast her or if she's sticking around. But yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. Oh, Elon Musk made controversy with PETA because PETA is clearly the most ethical company of pr protecting animals. Elon Musk claims one of his companies has implanted a device into a monkey's brain and helps to make it play mind pong with another cyborg monkey. The billionaire who owns a variety of science-based companies discussed the augmented monkey in a speech hosted on private social app Clubhouse. Oh, according to Sky News, during the talk, he revealed that his brain-machine interface company, Neuralink, Inc. has a monkey with wireless implant in their skull with tiny wires. Neuralink is using a monkey as a test subject for his technology, something they previously did with two pigs. He also any other companies to create a brain-computer interface where current trials focused on potentially using technology to treat people with brain or spinal injuries. As part of these tests, Musk, Elon Musk hards to make the monkey play video games in its own mind. One of the things we were, we're trying to figure out is whether we could have monkeys playing mind pong with each other. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. The device itself is made up of more than 3,000 electrodes, a star cable monitoring around 1,000 neurons. This is attached to threads slimmer than a hair, and the tiny wires Elon Musk spoke about. Animal welfare within the realm of science is naturally a concern for many groups, but Musk claimed that you could say and see where the implant is, and he's a happy monkey. He claims that an inspector from the U.S. Department of Agriculture said that New Orleans Laboratory was the, quote, nicest monkey facility they had examined. And the company Tesla has produced a car fitted with gaming PC that can play Witcher 3, because of course we have that. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh god, he is pissed, aren't they? And sure enough, they are reportedly pissed. Someone told them, and now they're and now they're mad. So, yeah, it's just wow. It's just weird, isn't it? Soon we're gonna start developing technology. Soon we're gonna so essentially what they just admitted that we cracked open the skull of a monkey and it just what just shoved a wire in there. Essentially, oh man, that is so dark. Also, Google Stadia might be coming to an end soon, as Google Stadia has announced that they have shut down um, the internal game studios they had created. The tech giant's video game Steam streaming platform, which launched in 2019, is setting down its internal development studios and refocusing on offering its tech platform to third-party publishers, the company announced on Monday. As first reported by Kotaku, that Google will close its two Stadia games and entertainment studios located in Los Angeles and Montreal. The closure will approximately impact approximately 150 employees, one source told Kotaku. Google says it will try to find new rules at the company for those impacted. With the successful launch of Cyberpunk 2077 on Stadia, gameplay on all types of devices, including iOS, growing on our slate of YouTube integrations and our global expansions to take over the world! It's clear that Stadia technology has proven that it works at scales. Having a stream to any screen is the future of this industry, and we'll continue to invest in Stadia and its underlying platform to provide the best cloud gaming experience for our partners in the gaming community. This has been the vision of Stadia since the beginning. Yeah. Jade Raymond, the noted producer who helped bring Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed franchise to life, is also departing from a role as the head of game development at Google. What does this mean for Stadia subscribers? Google states that players can still access their games on Stadia or the 10 month of Pro Stadia Pro. Oh, and that third party games will continue to release on the service. It's unclear how many third party Google 
game plans to on hosting on Stadia. A key pillar of Google's new strategy is offering Stadia's green game streaming technology to other interested companies. The head of Stadia operations, Phil Harrison, will lead the initiative. Google Stadia launched with some serious hype, but a rocky star played by technical issues of thin library games proved to be the service's downfall. Ironically, Cyberpunk's Stadia version proved to be one of the more reliable platforms to play in the notoriously buggy open-world RPG game. Google also undercut its own Stadia Pro subscription plan by eventually offering a free version of the service in April of 2020, though Google gradually chipped away its list of missing features and conveniences, its distinct lack of first-party games remains a concern. In IGN's own review, they saw absolutely no reason to subscribe to Stadia Pro while the free servers remained equally viable. Stadia also suffered stiff competition from Microsoft's xCloud service, which, seriously stre- which similarly streamed a wide variety against almost any device provided the internet connection was strong enough. Yeah, despite Google's seemingly immense influence on the world of technology, the company appeared to lack the resources or ship or any major game. One source familiar with Stadia's first-party work told that Google was a terrible place to make games and matching Amazon but under-resourced. Ouch. Yeah, a bit time on that front. We'll have to see where that ultimately goes, but yeah, this seems to be like this small step-by-step beginning of the end of the whole initiative with this. So we'll have to see where that goes, and we'll get out to see where Google Stadia as a brand goes. So let's move on to the wrestling side of everything. John Cena claims there's no mathematical way he works WrestleMania 37, according to Fightful. If John Cena were said to be relieved, he will be missing the first WrestleMania in over 20 years. Unquestionably, John Cena was the last superstar that WWE had as a standout face of the company because WWE hates making big stars because they'll get bigger than Vince. And Vince can't freaking have that, can he? In that time, Cena has since started to wind his career down. Duddy has also relied on cavalry on some superstars rather than creating one new face. Ace, during John Cena's time as the face of the company, he was very outspoken about part-timer superstars, especially Dwayne The Rock Johnson, calling them out for their apparent lack of passion towards the industry. She has become hypocritical, and he finds himself in a hypocritical situation as he doesn't see any mathematical way he can appear at WrestleMania this year due to prying filming engagements, including filming a Mountain Dew Super Bowl commercial and filming Peacemaker for HBO Max. I love a hypocrite when we have to deal with it. Currently, I'm in Vancouver shooting Peacemaker in the series for HBO Max. Given the quarantine regulations, if I were to leave Canada upon return, I would have to quarantine for another two weeks. Essentially, that would shut production down. Strictly based on the letter of the law right now, there's no logistical way I could be there. We feel now until July. John Cena is a name that has been reported to be secured for the show, but John Cena now says he has become a part-timer that he once despised. What a hypocritical situation, Cena says with a laugh. I used to be very open about the fact that part-timers were just that, and here I am at 44 years old and I've become what I have despised, as they say. That's what it is. I have become the very thing I have hated. So, John Cena has not been seen since last year's WrestleMania when he competed in a very unique match against Bray Wyatt that appeared to expose John Cena's character for some of the typical elements for over the years. Yeah, I'd still like to say that also John Cena is writing a book and and Dundee is also working with Mountain Dew and Cena's book launch it, releasing the week of WrestleMania 37. So, here's what I'm just going to say. Yeah, Cena's character is basically hypocritical about everything, and Cena's person has become very hypocritical on that, on the war of part-timers. I only like part-timers when it's done correctly, but that depends on a variety of factors, along with commitments. I mean, like, The Rock had had reasons not to show up every week, yet he showed up for a majority of his 70-day reign as champion. 
Which is telling when you have Brock Lesnar, who is defending the title every three months, or four, or five, if it gets desperate, and he doesn't have a legitimate excuse other than, I don't like wrestling full-time. Even though he could just wrestle every pay-per-view event, and then just be done with it. But, yeah, what do I know? I'm just a guy who has a perspective on other things. Other news in the world of entertainment. Zack Snyder's Justice League v- virtual effects producer says it was her most challenging and rewarding project ever. Tamara Watts-Kent, Cosmic Convenience, has called the Snyder Cut their biggest challenge. Snyder Cut's Justice League has been one of the most talked about projects in recent years. The campaign started not long after the theatrical version hit the years. As was clear, the Joss Whedon-led film shifted from its original vision and removed a lot of Snyder's footage. However, discussions surrounding the Snyder Cut only grew last year when the official announcement of the HBO Max came out. And since then, Snyder has regularly given insights into his four-hour film, not miniseries, that will officially release on March 18th. The the, uh, the the virtual effects of Snyder Cut's Justice League is a recurring topic of conversation. In late 2019, super, supervisors John J, DJ Disjardin and Brian Hirotora mentioned that the many VX uh, virtual effects shots are complete, helping prove that the version existed. More than recently, the post-Snyder Cut reshoots, the director revealed that almost 80% of the film had never been seen by anyone, and from a visual effects standpoint, the much more weighty cut of the film is now very much gearing up for the release in March, as Snyder revealed that it is complete, and now that the genre journey is finally nearing its end. And the direct, the virtual effects director, Ken, has shared how challenging and yet rewarding the Snyder Cut experience has been. In a lengthy Instagram post, she shared detail on her journey in helping Snyder's vision come to life. She detailed her experience watching the version of the film in 2019, full of pre-visualization and work-in-progress effects along with finished effects. Go on April 30th, 2020, and called it the most challenging project I've ever been on. Six months to do four hours of effects work, work in progress shots, and a brand or brand new shot being two possibilities. However, she also called them as fun and rewarding projects, saying that they have delivered over 2,500 shots in seven months. It's quite possible the Snyder Cut will divide opinions, but Kent's pose highlights how the effort involved making the film a reality and a visual spectacle, which almost all the Snyder films can be, cannot be taken away from the team. It's a film that's nearly five years old, and according to the cinematographer, only 10% of the original Snyder Cut footage made it into the theatrical cut. Saying that standardly the level of detail needed to identify each shot must have been a real challenge for Ken and company, as well as the fact that they likely had new shots coming in thanks to the reshoots as well. The incredible accomplishment of over 2,500 shots in seven months also adds to what has already been an incredible journey for the Snyder Cut. The new tra- a new trailer is expected to release before the film hits on HBO Max in March, so it's possible fans will be treated to some of the team's visual effects work before they finally get to see the full four hours. The film looks to be Snyder's last stand with the DCEU, and he's seemingly holding nothing back, as his evidence is decisions to include Jared Leto's Joker, Jared Leto's Joker, and reshoots. Only time will tell if the Snyder Cut Justice League Egg is a great film or not, but have to hearing Kent's story about the virtual effects challenges, fans will be looking forward to seeing how the film came together, comes together in, on screen in March. So I'm excited. I, I'm not, I'm honestly hoping the Snyder Cut version is good or at least serviceable for fans. But I am happy that fans and everyone gets to see 
he, especially Snyder and, and his team, get to finally see their baby be made, be born into the world, be explored by creative fans. And I will certainly talk about the Snyder Cut film. I still don't know how I'll be able to discuss it because it's four freaking hours. Or isn't how I'll be able to watch all that in four freaking hours. And I'm hoping that they release this on Blu-ray and DVD or, or 4K and I get a steel book cut of it. Back to the wrestling side of things. Cesaro's WWE contract set to expire after WrestleMania 37. Acor- so Cesaro's WWE career may be entering the final stages as Ra- Raj Guria uh, Wrestling he has reported the, contra- his co- the Swiss Cyborg's contract, for- contract expires shortly after WrestleMania 37. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Cesaro intends to resign... And with the companies I know, but some fans have been calling him to depart for the company to go to All Elite Wrestling, being mentioned as a possible landing spot. Honestly, as much I mean, I'm hoping Cesaro actually does leave because uh, WWE does not care about him. The only reason I'm sure he's getting this post is just to make it look like they care about him now. Except he was screwed at the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal afterwards. Was supposed to be getting this big push that would involve him fighting Brock Lesnar and be a world champion contender. Then they screwed him out because Vince doesn't like the swing because it's too organic. Fans love the swing. I hate when fans love something I don't like. Because Vince is a whiner and therefore I want him to be punched in the face for once again after Bret Hart did it. But that's just my personal opinion on socking Vince in the head. But I'll just have to sell for Kevin Owens' headbuttings. But, yeah. And also, also considering how Cesaro has expressed some frustration and was punished because saying no one wants to see John Cena and Randy Orton for the millionth time, which is something a lot of fans agreed with, but because he spoke his opinion, therefore it's the villain perspective for Vin. It's evil. It's dark. It's dangerous to have individuality. And I'm pretty sure the third party war didn't really help matters. Yeah, if Cesaro leaves, I honestly think Cesaro can work beyond just AEW. I can see him working New Japan. I can see him working AEW. I can see him working Impact. And going back to ROH, I can see him working anywhere because once he leaves, if he leaves... There will be an entire industry ready to hire him. That's how great he is. And the idea that he never got a chance to really have a chance to run with the bell. And the fact that they were pushing him to be a possible victory at the Royal Rumble. Even though he clearly was never going to be the possible victory. Is also annoying when you think about it because it's like you're giving its hope and now and people were and i was hoping and along with several others were hoping that oh maybe Roman Reigns can fight all three of them nakamura cesaro and daniel bryan for the title at wrestlemania but then the plans happen and well edge won the royal rumble we'll get to him down the road but yeah so mia yam originally scheduled to fight to fight in the Royal Rumble match, and Carlito is potentially getting a producer tryout. According to Dave Meltzer from Wrestling's Over Newsletter, which was sourced and backed by Fightful, Reckoning, a.k.a. Mia Yim, was originally scheduled to participate in the Royal Rumble match on Sunday. She sadly got the... She tested positive for the coronavirus, and she has not wrestled since December 31st on WWE main event when she lost to Nikki Cross. <sighs> and in other news, WWE from the Royal Rumble... Mike Johnson of PW Insta reports Carlito is scheduled to be on Monday Night Raw, uh, which he did show up, and there's talks that he may be getting a tryout as a producer for the company. So, 
Props to him on that. I'll have to see where that goes. But yeah, seeing that all that Mia Yam once again had gotten succumb to the coronavirus issues is sad. I hated it. And the fact I keep Lee was also by that had to be quarantined because of that. So it does factor in a lot to that. And now we don't know what's going to happen. Does Vince still push Keith Lee? Is Keith Lee screwed now? Because Vince finds anyone who gets the coronavirus to be a weak, weakling. Because Vince doesn't believe it. It's a big deal. Oh, and it's only doing all these testings after the outbreaks broke out. And realized that if he doesn't do something to look good, he's going to be investigated if he didn't bribe anyone. Yeah. Carlito, I look forward. He looked ripped, much better shape than he was 10 years ago, which is confusing <laughs> by cosmic timing, but that's just the that's just the weight of it. Also, in other wrestling news, Ronda Rousey is not scheduled to appear at WrestleMania 37, apparently. She hasn't stepped foot inside a ring after losing to, to Becky Lynch at WrestleMania, which is telling about everything. Speculation has continued to swirl around Ronda Rousey's future ever since she started her hiatus. And, McMahon, and Stephanie McMahon, a.k.a. the greatest woman wrestler in the history of the planet, because of course she thinks that, has said she's very hopeful that Rousey will come home to WWE. Except it's not her home, and if it is her home, that's, a, that's kind of a weird thing. Rousey won't return anytime soon, though, according to Dave Meltzer, and this article was backed by Cultaholic. Meltzer said, I was kind of told she's not doing it this year, but Ronda is another one where I would think if it was in Los Angeles, she would have done it. You could do it, but it does make sense for her to be in Dallas at next year's resume or Los Angeles the year after this year than this year, just because it's still, no matter what, a scaled-down event. That's the same thing that was brought about why The Rock probably won't be wrestling this year. So, yeah. Ronda, the Rowdy One's contract ex- reportedly expires on April 10, 2021, which is one night after WrestleMania 37. It both sides agreed to a contract extension. All three remains to be seen. We'll have to see, but it does look pretty bleak. Along with Aquaman 2, Sazam 2 is set to start filming in May, so that's good. But, but before I get to that, I don't know why I just did that. Ronda Rousey coming back. She Let's be real. She's the reason why the main event even happened for the women, especially Charlotte, because Vince has a favoritism. If it was Becky and Ronda, it would probably have a 50-50 shot of being the main event because Vince doesn't want Becky. Vince didn't want Becky to be the main event, but fans kept demanding Becky Mania to happen. Because, I don't know, Dunn hates the Irish people. Because of her thick accent, and therefore it's a problem. <sighs> yeah. So we'll see where that goes. And especially Evolution 2 was screwed over. Yeah, Shazam! Fury of the Gods! Will commence filming in May, according to star Megan Good, directed by David F. Sandberg. The first Shazam movie was a rousing success at the box office and among critics. And we marked the DC debut of Billy Batson, an orphan teenager who requires the ability to transform into the adult superhero, Captain Shazam! Billy passes his supernatural abilities along to his siblings, who then help him take down the seven deadly sins. And Dr. Shavana, one of Billy's siblings in the movie, is Faith Harriman's good-natured Darla Dudley, whose adult version is portrayed by Good. Both Herman and Good have been confirmed to return in the upcoming Shazam sequel. Ever since the announcement of Fury of the Gods, it has been undergoing multiple delays. The first was... The film was first tipped to release on April 4th, 2022, but due to the outbreak of the coronavirus in the U.S., 
It was delayed to November 4th, then to October 2020. Then in October 2020, the film was delayed even further, which is moving to 2023 before the film's latest rescheduling. Let me state the sequel would begin filming in 2021, but logically, due to the persistent reprogramming, the production plans were affected, and now the movie is expected to begin filming in the summer. Recently, Megan Good appeared on the Carlos Watson show via Shazam updates and confirmed the plan for Shazam 2 to begin filming this summer. In the interview, Good talked about her upcoming schedule, revealing that Shazam Fury of the Gods is targeting an early summer 2021 date, aid to commence filming, God willing, and by the grace of God, Shazam 2 starts in May. Too bad you'll have to be fighting gods, so that's probably awkward. Affirming that the highly anticipated DC sequel will begin shooting almost two years before its theatrical release. Previously, both Levy and Sandberg have voiced their concerns over Sam's postponed release since the new movie will premiere four years after the original one. The director fears that fans will lose interest in the franchise during the gap. Additionally, there's an issue with the younger actors. As Levy has jokingly mentioned, some recent interviews, Sam's young cast is growing up fast, so the movie doesn't start shooting soon, the teenager will become full-grown adults. So yeah, that, that is a problem. As per good statements, there are only a few months left before production on the long way Sazam sequel takes off. That means the soon the movie will cast the much speculated Mysterious Sisters trio, who reportedly serve as the new villains in Sazam 2. Moreover, ever since the sequel has been announced, there have been no word about which supporting cast members are returning and which ones are sitting out. So hopefully the new filmmakers... Now the filmmakers announced that the likes of Mark Strong, DJ Cortana, Cortona, Michelle Broth... Alpha returning for the sequel. May overall sounds like an appropriate time to start shooting because likely by then the vaccine rollout will be in full swing and the pandemic will soon be under some control. That said, fans can now gear up to high hear some exciting updates about Fury of the Gods as they're sure to be playing once the film starts shooting. Hooray! I enjoyed Shazam. I'm looking forward to its sequel. Let's just hope they're, they're, they get this done because it's going to be awkward if they're all adults by the time shooting actually starts, which will be cosmic and weird. So we'll have to see. The Bell Twins and the Tag Team Champions, it could still happen. Nikki and Bella. Nikki and Brie Bella appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show and teased the possible returns of the ring scene. Recently, WWE made their huge announcement about wrestling for the next three years. When I heard about Dallas in 2022 and Hollywood in 2023, I got chills and like, Brie, we have never gone out to the tag towns. They were made for us. Quite literally. There's another run in the Bell Twins, maybe in Dallas, WrestleMania. At some point, we're coming back. I'm not a fan of the Bella Twins. I really am not. I feel like they did more hindrance. Uh, like, their only positive contribution to me, at least, this is just me from a fan perspective, see the Bella Twins as being the straw that breaks the camel's back for fans about how women should be treated in WWE as wrestlers and not as good-looking women. We need to get down, fight, wrestle, and whatnot. Uh, not be punished if we're doing a German suplex and pissing Vince off because Vince McMahon is a whiny baby. He, so, yeah, the fact that I keep seeing the Bella Twins, it's, yeah. yeah I don't like it. And, and especially since the, I've just never been a fan of them. I, I'm just not. I, I just can't. I, I just can't be emotionally connect, invested with them. And those characters are so freaking annoying. Again, these are just my two cents, but sue me. Director Ryan Coogler is planning a Wakanda TV series in the works for Disney+. Plus. 
So, Walt Disney Company has announced that the new Disney Plus series is in development with Black Panther director Ryan Coogler that is based on the Kingdom of Wakanda. This Kingdom of Wakanda series will be part of Disney's five-year-old exclusive TV deal with Coogler's Proximity Media. It's an honor to be partnering with the Walt Disney Company. Working with them on Black Panther was a dream come true. As an avid consumer of television, we couldn't be happier to be launching our television businesses with Bob Iker, Nate Walden, and, and all the amazing studios under Disney's massive umbrella. We look forward to learning, growing, and building a relationship with audiences all over the world through the Disney platforms. We are especially excited that we will be taking our first leap with Kevin Feige, Louis Del Espato, Oh, Victoria Olsen and, and their partners at Marvel Studios, where we will be working closely with them on select MCU TV shows for Disney+. Plus. We're already in the mix with some projects that we can't wait to share. Yeah, no further details were given regarding the Kingdom of Wakanda series, but Disney's already made it clear that they will not recast the late Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa following the actor's death in, for Black Panther 2, so it can be assumed the same will be true for the, for the TV show. In late 2020, a report claimed that Black Panther 2 would begin filming in Atlanta July 2021, where it was shoot that collapsed after six months under the director of Cooler. Furthermore, it said that, that Little White, a.k.a. Wakanda's sister, that way, I, I got that, Siri, he, with right Siri possibly taking on a much more prominent role as the Black Panther, it said that Little White, Lupia, I can't pronounce her last name, Winston Duke, and Angela Bassett will all be returning. So... Look forward to that. I do think Shuri is going to become the next Black Panther, but we'll have to see how they go and handle this. So, Dodie has named a new senior vice president of creative writing. <laughs> yeah, that, that sucks. Dodie names Christine, I can't pronounce the last name, senior vice president of the creative writing operation. So, we expect this person to be basically the slave of Vince McMahon and be blamed for everything that's wrong with them. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, sorry for your luck, miss. Uh, good luck with that. Yes. Fuck. Jey is not merely cleared to compete at the Royal Rumble. Too bad. Coin of Fightful Wrestling, on January 5th, Jey Uso declared himself for the Rumble, because of course he did. Uso wrestled as well on that night, losing to Shinsuke Nakamura. As the weeks pass, Uso was absent by the side of Roman and was removed from the Men's Royal Rumble graphic on January 29th of SmackDown. Uso was not medically clear to compete, according to Dave Meltzer, and Mel Carrizo was not given his race absence and is unknown when he will return. Jay's brother Uso, Jimmy, is also currently signing with a leg injury. Jimmy did appear at Hell in a Cell getting involved in Jay's match against Roman. And in an October 2020 interview, Jay said Jimmy would be back in action in January 2021. It's currently twenty. It's currently February, so that failed. Jimmy's wife Naomi did make her return at the Royal Rumble, entering at number two. She had been off television since August twenty first, twenty twenty, and underwent surgery to remove a fibroid in September of that year. Yikes! Sorry for all your lucks. So it was reported that Vince McMahon was not at the Royal Rumble. As reported on Fightful Select, Vince McMahon was not backstage at the Royal Rumble all in the Thunderdome at Tampa, Florida during last night's event. During the event, WWE had their Royal Rumble lineup on Sunday by Sunday morning, and what you saw unfolding is the order that they had planned it. During the big shows in the past, the lineup had changed all the way up until the show was actually on the air. 
Adam Pierce was said to be instrumental in putting the Royal Rumble match together, and it was received well backstage. Bianca Belair received a standing ovation upon returning backstage after her win. They were told that Vince McMahon was not seen in the venue on Sunday and had been missing several shows of late. McMahon has been dealing with the passing of his brother, Rodney. He reached in out condolences to the McMahon family. Yeah, I heard this. I'm going to be straight up honest. Yeah, I, I rest in peace to Rod McMahon, but I'm going to be honest. I never even knew he had a brother. Yeah, it's weird a little bit how history in WWE tends to... How Vince tends to keep certain stuff under wraps. Like they never say, oh, I have a brother. Oh, my mother's still alive. Oh, I don't talk about my dead dad because I'm still pissed off at him. Even though he's dead. At least allegedly in my theory and my conspiracies. But yeah, I was like, I didn't know you had a brother. I'm, I'm a little amazed by that. I didn't know that. And I don't know if anyone else knew. Besides those who were closed. I'm like, that's telling considering that we're in this information highway. But condolences to McMahon, despite my clear opinions on the guy as a person. But, you know, I'm going to be the bigger man here. So, Christian was secretly cleared a week before the Royal Rumble. Not scheduled for Raw and has not been scheduled for SmackDown. According to Mike Johnson of PW Insider, Christian was secretly cleared a week before the Rumble after a visit to Pittsburgh. His return was kept quiet from everyone backstage aside from a small number of people. Nobody knew what was happening. I was playing coy all day. It was all a fun surprise. Johnson knows that the belief is Christian will work a part-time schedule. However, he did not appear on Raw. As pointed out by Sean Ross App, Christian is still owed an Intercontinental title match from 2014, which is cosmically was with Big E at that time, so... Yeah, we can have Biggie's match be that at WrestleMania. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Free ain't enough in 95. <laughs> so, let's move on. Backstage news on the Royal Rumble locker room mood. It was said to be a very positive environment. The backstage vibe from Tropica Field was said to be the most upbeat the locker room has had that one source has seen in a long time, according to WrestleBoats. It was noted that the movie is often upbeat this time of year due to WrestleMania season kicking off. Added that the road to WrestleMania has real meaning, yes, this year is serving as a small light at the end of a dark tunnel. A study continues to deal with the COVID virus. As noted, Bianca Belair received a big backstage ovation after she returned from winning the Royal Rumble women's match last night, right? From the Royal Rumble women match. So, yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. Bianca Belair has certainly earned that opportunity, so thumbs up to that. EA Sports has announced Tuesday is planning to relaunch a college football video game series. The series has been the college football video game series. The series has been shelved since NCAA football 2014. Or NCAA football 14. ESPN Michael Rostin and provide more information. To make the game happen, EA Sports has provided with a college licensing company, CLC, to make sure they have the FBS schools, traditions, uniforms, and playbooks, among other things, ready to go for the game. Over 100 teams will be in the game. For now, EA Sports is planning more to move forward without rosters that include names, images, and likenesses of real college players. Current NCAA rules prohibit athletes from signing the NI rights while in college. So I heard this and I was like, okay, awesome. I'm looking forward to it for fans. I'm proud. I'm happy for them. But there's just a problem. 
it's EA. And considering what they did to Madden, I'm a little worried. They could easily make NCAA be having all the good content and Madden being the bad stuff. If only. But that's just a pipe dream for me, so we'll have to see. Oh, man. Also, do you remember that Zelda Netflix series that was leaked? Yeah, so it just got report. It had gotten reported by Wall Street Journal. Shared details of the ad- adaptation that Nintendo had rescinded the show. Yeah, so suddenly there were reports Netflix wasn't going to do its Legend of Zelda anymore. Tragically, e- Connor Verge recently recalled speaking on the Sheriff Times podcast saying, I was like, what happened? And then I heard from my boss, we weren't doing our Star Fox anymore. I was like, what happened? He was like, so on Netflix leaked the Legend of Zelda thing. They weren't supposed to talk about it. Nintendo freaked out and they pulled the plug on everything. The entire program um, to adapt these things. So... News of the prospective live-action Legend of Zelda series with Netflix hit headlines back in 2015 when, they, when a person familiar with the marriage reportedly told Wall Street Journal that the stranger had described the upcoming show as Game of Thrones for a family audience. It was a story that would follow Link's conquest to save Princess Zelda and the land of Hyrule. However, a little more was said after that. In the years since then, the video game adaptations are becoming businesses on Netflix as the game market has experienced rapid growth and interest. Gaming has exploded even more so during the lockdown. Netflix wants to, the service to be for that players turn to when they need to take a break from gaming and the streamers making big moves to make it happen. So congratulations, Leaker! You ruined our entertainment for Game of Thrones for family audiences for us. Way to freaking go. IWTV has announced that they have reached a new distribution agreement with Pluto TV. Independent wrestling will now have even more distribution in the year 2021 through Pluto TV. IWTV, the premier independent wrestling streaming service, has reached a distribution deal that will now allow some of their programming to be streamed to Pluto TV. The app is already available on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, and more. Or announcing on their press release, we're excited to announce a new distribution partnership launching today. He, as IWTV will be bringing independent wrestling to Pluto TV. The new partnership will see IWTV partners promotions featured on the per- new Pro Wrestling channel on Pluto TV with new events submitted regularly. Here's what's available right now on the Pro Wrestling channel. Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory Season 1, Women's Wrestling Revolution's entire library, Defy Wrestling's Defy Now, Pluto TV is a free app available to stream on Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Chromecast, PlayStation, TiVo, Xfinity, Roku, and more. Where to watch and more on where to watch Pluto TV. Congratulations! The independent wrestling market is getting more and more exposure by the day. Therefore, that will lead to more people to get an opportunity to go ahead and expand their outcomes and get bigger opportunities for fans. Looking forward to that, celebrating their big moment. They, They should be proud. DC is set to release a new unpublished Suicide Squad, Nightwing, and Batman stories in a new title. DC Weirdo Hero Ambush Bug will host a new pub- unpublished comics Calvinance style anthology limited series titled Live, which will publish previously shelled tiles from DC's archives. <laughs> Built as stories of DC's Infinite Universe, the anthology series will appropriately debut on the DC Infinite Digital Comic Ring service, which features both new and exclusive DC digital titles as well as classic comic book and back issues. 
The phrasing also calls to mind to DC's upcoming Infinite Frontier branding, which is based around the inclusive view of DC history in which all previous comic books, alternate universes, and stories dating back from the publisher's earlier days can be invoked or considered canon at different times. Though the stories included in the series will feature different characters and creators in every issue, Let Them Live will be anchored by a meta-narrative framing device starring the aforementioned ambush bug, a wacky fourfold breaking goofball hero who predates even Deadpool in these traits. He's as a janitor in DC's offices. The ambush bug will also will be created by writer Elliot Kalen of Mystery Science Theater 3000 fame and artist Mike Norton and Mary Lewis. Let Them Live number one is due out on February 2nd. It features a Suicide Squad story from writer Jim Zib and artist T- Trad Morin and Philippines, I can't pronounce that name, and Nate Pelkos. Let Them Live number two falls on February 16th and stars Nightwing in a story by creators Colin Kelly, Lee, Jackson Lansing, George Cornyn, Matt Lopes, and Carl's M. Magnol. And finally, for now at least, March's second Let Them Live number three puts on a spotlight for Batman in a tale by writer Scott Brian Wilson and artist John Paul Ian, Dave Stewart, and D- Darren Bennett. DC doesn't say whether Let Them Live will continue past the initial three issues, but it's likely the publisher has published has sent up unpublished inventory stories to keep going for some time. In addition to being available on the subscription service, DC states that the issues of Let Them Live will be available on Comicsology and other participating digital platforms 30 days after release. So, this is part of DC's Infinite Frontier relaunching thing, where they're saying everything is canon, yet all of it ultimately does not matter, essentially. You saw my pilot episode, if you have, that discusses this. And that's all we can say on that. I'm looking forward to it, but more Batman exposure. Yeah, Let's get back to things. Judgment is coming to Xbox Series X, S, and PS5, Stadia in April. Judgment, the Yakuza spinoff, is coming to the Series X and S, PS5, and Stadia on April 23rd. Originally a PS4 exclusive, the actual game will come on new platforms with all of its DLC, refined visuals, 60 frames per second performance, and improved loading times. It will release at a $40 price point, and UK and Australian prices are not available at the time of their writing on IGN. Sega confirmed that to IGN that cross-buy will not be supported for PS4 and 5, and we cannot get an answer where progress can be carried over the PS4 to PS5 versions. Furthermore, RGG Studios says it does not plan to release Judgment for PC at the time. Set in the same world as Yakuza in its familiar district, Judgment tells a very different story with almost an entirely new cast of characters. Set on a lawyer turned private detective, if the game follows a murder mystery alongside Yakuza series' usual bizarre side quests and activities. So, get ready for that, everyone. I never played Yakuza, so I'm probably in the dark on that. But I'm happy for all of them, and let's be honest, and I heard positive reviews about it. So, remember that Lady Lady D- Demistrius? I'm pretty sure I butchered that name wrong, and I'm pretty sure I committed the cardinal sin for getting it wrong. But, yeah, Resident Evil Village Art Director addresses her key mystery, her height. <sighs> Oh, God. So, yeah, she's become this newest hit with fans. Yeah. And even IGN said this about it when the art director revealed, if you include her hat and high heels, she stands at 2.9 meters, approximately 9.6 tall. So, there you have it. Capcom has finally released fans from the horny jail and subsequently throw them into the horny wine cellar. <sighs> Oh, God. I, I don't... 
So they point out that she is taller than a Christmas tree, Andre the Giant, Shaquille O'Neal, a king-sized bed standing vertically, or most importantly, the actual tallest man and woman ever recorded in history. Yeah, she's a staple with fans now who've madly fallen in love with her height. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are going to be some people that are going to be aroused when she towers over the main character when they play the game when the village comes out. Way to go, Capcom. Look what you've unleashed. So, the initiative. Yeah, we all remember the initiative. They announced Perfect Dark. Yeah! So... Drew Murray, who is the who is the design director of Perfect Dark, of the Perfect Dark Studio, the initiative has announced that he is leaving the project. The initiative is Drew Murray revealed in the news on Twitter, asked by VGC. Murray previously worked on Resistance, Ratchet and Clank, Sunshine Overdrive, and Insomniac Games before leaving in 2018 to help kickstart the first party studio at Microsoft. He's leaving to focus on his life outside work and tweeted us that goodbye felt bittersweet after working with such talented and experienced teams. After two wild years helping start the initiative of Xbox and rebooting Perfect Dark, it's time to say a tearful and bittersweet goodbye to my team at the initiative. The team has had a vision and talent to knock the game franchise out of the park. Miri tweeted in regards to the future of the project, knowing that the real trail still gives some goosebumps. Interestingly, Miri points out that when he joined the initiative, he wasn't aware that the team would be working on a Perfect Dark game. He says that the silver lining is that this will get the he will get to experience the Perfect Dark series as a fan and on launch date. The reboot project was announced in December during the Game Awards and is promising to deliver an echo sci-fi first-person shooter. And yeah, so Santa Monica-based studio The Initiative was revealed by Microsoft in 2018, and famously described as looking for quadruple-A standards in job listing. <laughs> the development team is currently being led by Daniel Gallagher, a veteran of Rockstar Games, Crystal Dynamics, and Activision, where he worked on games such as GTA 4 and Tomb Raider. God of War lead producer Brian Westengard, and Red Dead Redemption lead writer Chris- Kristen Kentamasi, he are also working at the initiative. Most likely contributing to Perfect Dark, it's part of Microsoft's growing roster of studios following the recent acquisition and of Zenimax Media. Yeah, when I first heard this, I was initially worried that it was gonna that something bad had happened behind the scenes. And while that still could be confirmed if leaks come out of reports, but backstage stuff goes out. Oh, but right now it looks like it's just he wants to focus on his life outside of work and is trying to take a break from gaming. And to see where that goes, but I'm still hopeful for the initiative and their perfect Garth game. I still watch the trailer mostly because of their rendition of that song they played. So, yes. Curac Dreams founder David Cage discusses new Montreal studio in an unannounced game. So they go ahead, so the developer, the, the founder of the studio behind games like Detroit Become Human and Heavy Rain and has been a lot of franchise biggest game developers. Now they're expanding into North America and announced a new studio in Montreal, Canada, founded by David Cage in 1997. Curac Dreams has made a name for itself with Dory Sturman, graphically sophisticated titles, most recently with Detroit Become Human, for its Montreal studio, Screen Geeks Montreal founder, and Idols Montreal alumni, Stephanie, I can't pronounce, Stephanie, Stephanie, I can't pronounce her last name, has been tapped as jail manager for the new location. And the project lead designer on Assassin's Creed Valhalla will also be joining the company as gameplay director for a new unannounced project and development at the at the company. So IGN got to speak with him, and they went over how they went multi-platform, the unannounced AAA game, and as a third-party publisher, and fostering a healthy studio culture. 
after there was alleged reports of that it fostered cor toxic corporate cultures. <sighs> yeah, let's see where all that goes. As this continues, we also got a massive announcement with Mass Effect with the Mass Effect Legendary Edition remaster. Mass Effect 3 Extended Cut ending is part of the canon in Legendary Edition according to the leaks, according to the announcements. When Mass Effect Effect Legendary Edition launches in May, it will include all the content from the original Mass Effect trilogy and its DLC, including Bioware confirmed the, the Extended Cut's additional fourth ending. Speaking to the IGN project director, Mac, Wal Mac Walters, said the decision stemmed from a desire to include as much DLC content as possible within the collection and as the players have downloaded that content from the outset. For the people who have ex had an extended cut, that became the experience for them, and so that will be the experience for everyone who is playing the Legend Edition as well. And ultimately, you finish a game and there are things you wish you had been able to do things and you want to add on, and to me, that extended cut was the opportunity to add a little bit more love and a little bit more context around the ending, so to me, that part is canon. So, yeah, we all remember how that ending happened and it pissed everyone off. Off with the director defending the game at the time and the subsequent extended cut added more context to the ending. It is not fundamentally changed the ending according to the press release, but it expands on the meaning of its original endings and reveal great details on the impact of player decisions, which was initially promised how all your decisions would make the would affect the ending. So Mass Effect Legendary Edition has been announced for a May release date, May 14th. And I'm looking forward to kicking ass and taking names again as Commander Shepard. I'll probably, and I'm not probably going to make video recordings of it, even though I really could. Mostly, I'm probably going to try something a little bit different with that game. But, you'll see. They also talked about how making a full-on next-gen launch of the collection for PS5 and Xbox Series X is just a bridge too far for them. To me, I'm buying a game for the next generation of the hardware. I expect a lot from it, and I think that's more what we could have pushed Unreal Engine 3 to do. And again, more than we could have done with a true remaster. To me, it would have felt a little disingenuous to think I... I think it's best suited for the next Mass Effect. It was also denied that Bioware was considering an eventual optimization patch instead, and at least not for the time being. However, he added that the game would experience some next-gen hardware perks for those playing on the new consoles. We'll wait and see, but we have some targeted unleashing of the game so that it will leverage a little bit more power for the next-gen series beyond just the faster load times you expect from the solid-state drive. There are some things that you'll get higher frame rates of, keep resolutions higher, and stuff like that. So it would be a lot more optimized experience, but at this point, nothing in the future. Today, Bioware has also announced that Mass Effect Legendary Edition will launch on, well, May 14th, and all the content that will be rich and powerful. So, I'm excited for the Legendary Edition. Like I said, you'll probably won't see a playthrough series on that, but you'll be experiencing hopefully something else. I do plan to get the game, but it depends on various circumstances that I'm hoping to get, but we'll have to see down the road. Yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League teases Joker's new appearance in the new photo. So, I saw the photo, I saw it, and I was thinking to myself, this really looks like, this really looks the more, man, not Heath Ledger's Joker, although from the perspective shot of it, it does look like it, but it feels like they borrowed a little bit of Joaquin Phoenix's viewpoint with the blurred Joker, so it looks like they're trying to make a mix of Joaquin Phoenix and Heath Ledger's Joker, because the Joker we got was not as good, but yeah, <sighs> Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of people were mixed about it. Some people were praising the changes. Some people were, like, amazingly terrible. And, yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. 
So Cyberpunk 2077, 2077 continues to fall apart exponentially as they have been revealed by the developer that Cyberpunk Mars warned to use caution after vulnerability discovered. Oh, man. You should be able to trust data file. So, yeah, they gave this warning to people. Have there's an issue with it. Pixel Rick said to Eurogamer, you should be able to trust data file mods to be harmless only to be skeptical of executables in general. This vulnerability makes it impossible to trust any modded data file for this game until the patch. CJ Project Red thanked the community for flagging the issue and said they are working on to fix it. On a fix, we advise everyone to refrain from using the files obtained from unknown sources. Anyone who plans to use mods in custom cities should use caution until we release the aforementioned fix. The temporary fix was already made by Cyberpunk Engine Tweaks, a popular modding tool for the game. Yeah. Oh man, just not a struggle for the developers to fix. Boy bastards. So, Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel of DC Comics has worked is working on another massive project with Image Comics. They are set to launch a new story, which in the post-death metal time period, Scott Snyder is planning to release a new book he's written called Noctera, and there's been an exclusive preview of the post-apocalypse horror series on IGN. And the first project launched under that will be part saying that in 2021, he was going to focus on his new creator-owned imprint, Best Jacket Press, and as previously announced, the first project under that imprint will be Snyder and Tony Daniels' Noctera, a post-apocalyptic horror series set in the world of constant darkness. And there have been cover arts released, George Jimenez's involvement with art, and Snyder had said, and the series is set in a world where the sun's light mysteriously vanished ten years ago. This never-ending shroud of darkness transforms humans into terrifying shades and forces the survivors to hide from the monsters all around the world. The only way to travel to safety is to enlist in the aid of the ferrymen and who travel in illuminated transport vehicles. The series' main protagonist, Val- Valentina Val Riggs, once, is one such ferryman, and he takes on a job with the promise of a true sanctuary awaiting on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. Ah, we're getting Logan. The inspiration for this one was both simple and personal. As a kid, I had an intense fear of the dark. Dark. Ha! Huh. You fear the dark. I was born in the dark. About a year ago, one of my sons developed a pretty intense fear of the dark himself. Lying in bed with him one night, the idea just hit me. What if tomorrow morning sunlight just stopped reaching the earth? What if this new darkness we found ourselves in was far scarier than anything we imagined as kids? A darkness that changes every living creature into a monster called a shade. The only way to avoid being turned into a shade is to stay lit by whatever illumina- illumination you can find. I'm so inspired by the story and the ideas is giving you true for various characters as well as monsters. I'm usually not excited to drop background characters, Daniel said, and they're usually just filler to the main image, but I love drawing the various background characters in this series. I look for any excuse to squeeze more and more in. Each one of the one has their own style and story behind them in my mind, and it makes it so enjoyable. Originally launched as a Kickstarter release, Noctera will also be published monthly through Image Comics. The first issue is set to hit stores in Wednesday, March 3rd. Snyder has already teased the second best jacket press st- series for artist Aria Christina, blood soaked in mysterious comic called Chain. And meanwhile, Snyder's frequent collaborator Jock is also pivoting his own, to own, create own horror comics in 2021 as he and writer Jeff Lemire joined forces on Comicsology Unlimited exclusive series Snow Angels. All three projects were among the picks of IGN's 21 Most Anticipated Comics of 2021 release. Yeah, I'm excited for Noctera. I'm hoping to... I, I was thinking about either getting the Boss Logic cover 
or I would get the George Jimenez cover that is indeed releasing. We'll have to see. But I, I'm excited for this story, and I can't wait to see what's going to be told in the post-death metal licensing books of D, of Scott Snyder's career in, with DC Comics. Joining up with more details about Mass Effect, Hansel Mass Effect spin-off game was inspired by Han Solo and Star Control. Byer once considered a Mass Effect spin-off inspired by Star Control and starring a Han Solo-type mercenary who would explore the series' universe in a more nitty-gritty way. In a new interview with The Gamer, Bioware's Doran Kaken, and who worked as the developmental development director on the Mass Effect series and oversaw the multiplayer development of Mass Effect 3, discussed the studio's axed ideas for a spinoff. We explored the game concept back in 2008, a bit, of sh- bit, after, a bit after the shipping of the first Mass Effect, where you were playing as Han Solo-type character in a star-controlled-inspired game in the Mass Effect universe. The game was intended to expand the Mass Effect universe and be done in parallel with the trilogy. Obviously, this project never got off the ground, but he reminds himself that but the development director himself remains interested in the idea of using a morally great character, not evil, but not but less righteous than a savior of the galaxy, as a vehicle to explore an ever-reversing sides of the universe. He points to the modern success of the Mandalorian Firefly, which uses similar mercenary types to great effect. We all needed to focus on Master Effect 2, which was the right call at the time. I think the concept was really strong, though, and I definitely would have liked to see this game like that one day. Yeah, there were clearly more plans for the Mass Effect series, and they even revealed that there was a plan for another spin-off series for their multiplayer component that for Mass Effect 3. Originally, Mass Effect 3 had plans to do a multiplayer spin-off game, but that was scrapped and evolved into their Mass Effect uh, Mass Effect multiplayer for Mass Effect 3. Yeah, good things come in big packages in that. More details on Mass Effect Legendary Edition's character creation evolves for consistency and inclusivity. Mass Effect Legendary Edition comes with more than just 4K upgrade, but it's also getting better character creation system to make sure your server looks like their absolute best. Bioware revealed the changes during a special Mass Effect Legendary Edition preview. The custom character creator, especially in the earlier games, it might have had limited options. Options for these, like eye color, makeup, or hairstyles, they get expanded throughout the trilogy, so you might be able to make something you really connect with in Mass Effect 3, but not actually be able to reproduce that look in Mass Effect 1 or 2 again. So one of the first things we really wanted to do was, throughout the trilogy, unify the options. Something exists in 3, we want it to exist in 1, and we want that to be able to be consistent. Beyond just making the look of your shepherd consistent, the moon marks a step towards better inclusivity for the series. We want to really expand choices for the things like skin color and hairstyles. Oh, they just weren't wide enough originally on the, to support the diversity of our player base in order to be able to give the fans the ability to create the shepherd that they really wanted to play as. <clears throat> if you're more of a default character player, it's worth knowing that the femme shep for Mass Effect 3 can now be used in all three games of the original trilogy. So, good luck with that. There has also been an announcement of a legendary cache, including a wearable helmet, morality spinner pin, and more. So, this $150 cache is available for pre-order on Bioware Gear Store, or an early early bird offer for free or discounted shipping, depending on where you live. The star of the show is a modest collection of a 1.1 scale helmet, while you wouldn't want to try to brave the harsh vacuum of space around an alien attack from a rampaging Krogan. The visor and accents do light up the Paragon blue or red. There was a set of built-in LED lights, two AA batteries not included. 
Dirigerary Cash also comes with a morality spinner. It has the Paragon symbol on one side, the Renegon on the other. So you can let everyone know whether or not you are in by the book or reporter punching mood for on that particular day. It also includes a metal game case with a generic edition, though not the game itself, and a collectible letter from Captain Anderson commemorating Shepard's acceptance of the rank of N7. Lastly, you get a canvas art print for the Normandy flying over Earth, and if you pick up the cash from the Bioware store, you'll get an exclusive print of Shepard with her own with her Omniblade at the ready. The Mass Effect Legendary ca cash will start shipping from Bioware store in May. So we get a helmet out of this. Cool, cool. So, that's pretty awesome. I'm enjoying this rise of Mass Effect Resurgence. Let's just hope the next game they make is really good and not horrendous disaster. Or be passable enough for me, at least, but not be enough to retain interest for other fans. Moving on, Final Fantasy VII Remake developers tease a little of what Part Two could offer. The developers, I can't pronounce their names, have revealed what they want to achieve with Part Two of the highly anticipated remake. Speaking at CD, CEDC conference, translated by Twitter user, it was stated that the studio hopes that Part 2 not only surprises, but also goes beyond fan expectations. Saying that although he can't reveal much about the development of Part 2, he said that the team wants to take the level of detail found in Midgar in the first part of the remake and apply it to the rest of the world in Part 2. The Square Enix employee also shared an interesting fact about the staff working on Part 2, revealing that when we were creating Part two, part 1, most of the staff who wanted to join our team were fans of the original game. However, right now, the new staff who want to work on the those who played the remake and would like to be on board with Part 2. As to when we would get our hands on remake on Part 2 of the remake, we still we are still on the riser. All we know so far is the game is in full development, according to you would test you and Norma, the game's character designer and director, and that he hopes they will be released as soon as possible. But yeah, and it does look like they're going around the, the, I, I still think the Final Fantasy VII Remake series is going to actually be revealed to be a pseudo-sequel series to the original Final Fantasy VII and the movie that had been made. So, yeah, that's just my two cents on that. Life is Strange before the Storm developers are hiring for an unannounced AAA single-player adventure. Is there a new Life is Strange on the way? Hey, a job listing posted by developer Deck, Deck Nine could hint towards just this. Deck Nine Games is looking to hire a lead program to, uh, to the team to develop a new, an unannounced AAA single-player adventure game according to a new job listing. It doesn't give anything away to what this new game from them could entail, but it seems like this is either a brand new IP or a continuation of Life is Strange, which is mentioned frequently throughout the job description. Our first game, Before the Storm, is loved by fans and has won multiple awards. The studio is working on an unannounced story adventure game and is growing additional teams for more projects. It's important to know that Deck Nine Studio is the one who made the prequel title Before the Storm, while the other main games, Life is Strange 1 and 2, were made by Dot Nod. Recently, they were reported Deck Nine were possibly handing all games related to Life is Strange in the future, following the Tencent company invest has invested a minority stake in Dot Nod. This news does lead credits to Dot Deck Nine's next game being Life is Strange 3, but it could equally be a brand new IP considering the success and claims of the storm, uh, before the storm. Deck Nine might be interested in developing that or more as opposed to starting fresh. If the job listing is correct, this brand new title would have a home on PS5 and Xbox Series X as one skill requirement is to have experience at least one current gen console. There are plenty of rumors floating around to suggest that this unannounced AAA game is the next Live Restraint style, which is being talked about over 
on Reset Era and the game's official Reddit. You don't have to look far, but for these sites still see people claiming wishing for some news announcements being on the way. Wherever this game turns out to be, you can probably expect it to follow the same footsteps as Life is Strange, so if you're a fan of those games, you'll have plenty to be excited for. I enjoyed the two Life is Strange games. I never finished Before the Storm. It was pretty tough to go through the first episode, and I still have two more episodes to do. But we'll see where that goes. But uh, yeah, I have to see where all this ends up being and look forward to what's in store for us as fans. So the Royal Rumble had a very critically acclaimed last man standing match given to fans with Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. There was an incident, however. So Roman Reigns was handcuffed under the ring. However, Paul Heyman tried to remove it, but it's revealed that this was actually by accident because the hand because the keyhole on the handcuffs was on the wrong side and Heyman had to fight to turn the handcuffs over. Though he also didn't have a pair of bolt cutters nearby, which meant Heyman couldn't just cut the Universal Champion free. I honestly think that was actually a good thing. No, really, think about it. This is actually a good thing because now you got more tension out of this. Like, Roman was so desperate trying to get out, he had to knock out the referee and then low blow Kevin Owens. But when you had that moment where Kevin Owens was trying to, where, where Kevin Owens was struggling to get up and, after being low blowed, and then you had Paul Heyman trying to release the key, release Roman Reigns from his handcuffs. It actually ended, added more tension and drama to the moment. It was a botch, but it was the good kind of botch where you can make something out of it and put you on the edge of your seat and grip the grip the chair, grip the 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 arm parts of your chair. So that's been an update on the plan for Edge's match at WrestleMania. Dave Meltzer says this: Not sure when this will be officially announced, but Roman Reigns and Edge is the planned main event for WrestleMania. Meltzer reports that states that WWE is 100 percent of this town who the War Woman winner. Or Bianca Belair is going to face at the event, even though there's everyone saying that they want to see freaking Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. We fans are stupid. We clearly don't want that. Anyways, but yeah, Christian is expected to be in a part-time role, but he says he might be done. He could be lying easily to us in order to subvert the expectations of us. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to look forward to that. Everything to that one is coming out. But let's move on. So, there's been a creative pitch to Bad Bunny wrestle at WrestleMania 37. Following his appearance on Sunday's Royal Rumble and Monday's Raw, uh, the, following, the following night, Dada is planning to book Bad Bunny for more appearances. According to PW Insider, Dada is currently planning for Bad Bunny to be involved in WrestleMania 37, where creative pitches is made for him to potentially wrestle at the pay-per-view. His recent WWE appearances garnered mainstream attention from publications such as Los Angeles Time, Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, and Entertainment Tonight. Who is a multi? Whose latest album debuted at number one on the Billboard 2000 chart? Yeah, I was real. I was like, no, I refuse to have celebrities wrestle at WrestleMania who aren't wrestlers. I was on Twitter ranting about this. Some people were trying to be optimistic about it. I'm still a little pessimistic about it, but I, if they could, if he transitions enough, and if he transitions more smoothly into the wrestling shows, okay, maybe you got something. By the way, Google stock rises following record earnings in the fourth quarter of 2020 because Google was clearly going to have issues. In other news, Jeff Bezos is stepping down as the results for Amazon's fourth quarter earnings came in, and he is stepping down as Amazon CEO and is moving to a new executive position, to a new executive chair position, and yeah... It, it was amazing that that actually happened. They have a new guy coming in. They have one of the other 
high strong high members of the team joining up with them so we'll have to see where this transition goes it might not affect anything it might affect some things it might not affect anything we'll have to see so Battlefield 6 reveal as part of Electronic Arts' earnings report, the company shared some details on the next Battlefront game, Battlefield game. Managers said the game will offer an all-out military warfare and support more players than ever before for the Battlefield series. The current player cap for Battlefield is 32 versus 32, so presumably this new Battlefield game will offer something more. EA also said the new Battlefield game will offer more pay agency, but the company did not elaborate on what that means. It's more of the new game is tracking ahead EA's own internal milestones. EA CF CFO Blake Jorgensen said the new game is scheduled to reach feature complete status faster than any other Battlefield game in history. The new game, whatever it ends up being called, is scheduled to be revealed on Spring 2021 before releasing in Holiday 2021. CEO Andrew Wilson said this new Battlefield game will take advantage of the full power of the PS5 and Xbox Series X as it attempts to usher in the next era for Battlefield series games. Okay. Okay, we, we can see that we can make this work. Right? We can make this work. Hopefully. Mike Johnson, a PW Insider, has revealed that Duddy has quietly released Lars Sullivan from his contract last month. A reason for his release was not given. When I heard this, a lot of people, I retweeted it and said Lars is out of here. And everyone rejoiced because they thought Lars Sullivan had finally snapped people behind the scenes. And finally pissed everyone off. Which is understandable because Lars Sullivan has an issue going on. And, yeah... Yeah, yeah, that, that was amazing when I heard that. But there, what? But Laura Sullivan did get reached out by Fightful Select, and they and he did get a comment out where it revealed he was suffering from anxiety issues and is probably done with wrestling altogether, especially after his father died last year, tragically. And says it wasn't because of his behavior in the past that led to his release, even though there was a confirmed report and evidence that came out about how he sent sexual harassment texts on Instagram to somebody right after he had returned on SmackDown. Take it for what you will. By the way, uh, Borderlands Studio Gearbox has been acquired by Embracer Group for up to $1.3 billion. 2K remains on board as publisher. Yeah, that, that was amazing when I heard that. A spokesperson at 2K said, as the proud publisher of Borderlands franchise, we are happy for our partners at Gearbox and an exciting new chapter for their organization. The merger does not change 2K's relationship with the Gearbox game, we ignore our role as publisher of the Borderlands IP or any other projects we are currently working with on the studio. We look forward to continuing our long-term partnership with this incredibly talented team and delivering more exciting content and ex entertainment experiences to gaming fans around the world. With this acquisition, Embracer only grows further. The company already has a catalog of more than 200 franchises and 5,500 employees across the globe across six studios. Gearbox 550 developers across its Texas and Quebec cities offices will become employees of Embracer going forward. Game Gearbox has embraced the seventh internal game developer and publisher. Randy Pittsburgh is staying on Gear with Gearbox as part of the sale. Boo! The feeling at Gearbox is that we are just getting started in this transaction to not really stimulate for our talent of employees, a owned company, or propel it for exciting future games that we have planned. Also, bullshitting and lying and probably hiding pornography in my hard drives. Yeah, take it for what you will. I was honestly hoping they would fire him. Like now he has to now because now he has to 
be careful with what he does because what he says now affects not just Gearbox but now a bigger development. In other news, M. Night Shyamalan has released a new movie te- trailer, movie teaser, old, to get his first teaser. So a teaser was released, old, hits theaters on July 23rd, and it features an extensive cast, Gail Garcia Bernal, old, from Coco, oh, little Eliza Scanlon, Scanlon from Little Woman, and Mackenzie from Jojo Rabbit, Alex Wolf from Jumanji, Next Level, Vicky Creeps, I can't announce the last name. From Phantom Thread and Abby Lee, The Dark Tower. The movie is based off of the 2011 graphic novel Sandcastle by by Oscar Levy and Frederick Peters. First, while also an official synopsis for all is yet to be released, the graphic novel focuses on a group of tourists who find themselves trapped in a seemingly idyllic cove over the aging processes rapidly accelerating. How closely Sarah's new movie will follow the stories of Chilliers and Nowhere series sounds like the story that the sixth sense and a regular director might turn into a film. A poster has also been released, which can be seen in, in their po- on, on the internet now. So look forward to Night Shyamalan's latest project, and let's see if it ever connects to the Unbreakable Universe. Or, th- or East Rail 737. EA Star Wars games have sold a collective 52 million copies, made $3 billion, and more are coming. Boo! During an earnings call, CEO Andrew Wilson said the company has enjoyed a long and profitable relationship with Lucasfilm over the years going back decades. We've generated a number of great franchises, Knights of the Old Republic, even though that was before Bioware was bought, but okay, let's lie. Galaxy of Heroes, Battlefront, Jedi Fallen Order, and most recently Squadrons. The repre- that represents over $3 billion life, life to date in the net bookings and 52 million games sold. And after we screwed people over and tried to with the whole microtransactions bullshit, but we pissed too many people off and therefore we couldn't do it and get away with it. EA no longer has the exclusive rights to the, ser- to the video game series of Star Wars, as the recently established Lucasfilm Games is partnering with Bethesda and Ubisoft on new Star Wars projects. AJ- EA management said on the earnings call that the company is not afraid or concerned by the fact that they will soon have more competition in the Star Wars video game space. Maybe they should, because not everyone was happy with uh, EA's handling of Star Wars. Luckily, Square Enix on the earnings report remains profitable despite losses from its gaming division. So, Square Enix has released its ratings earnings report. Despite its gaming site operating a loss at the last two consecutive quarters, the gaming the company has managed to achieve a year-on-year growth and remains profitable in the process. Over the course of nine months that ended in December 2020, Square Enix reported an increase of 33.7% when compared to the same period in 2019. Despite not really recouping the cost, it's still below expectations. As, however... And sales of MMO games such as Final Fantasy 15, 14 and Dragon Quest X 10 had also dipped in 2020, but the division master remained profitable thanks to players generating revenue inside those games, and especially with Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Congrats. Big news for the Marvel Universe. So, Marvel Comics is in my and you, or more specifically, Marvel Insider members, to be part of the X-Men history and witness the future of Krakoa in comics this summer and possibly to sell your identity for all eternity to be used in Marvel Comics' universe. Luckily, yeah, it was announced that after a thrilling week of votes from fans and creators from around the world, Marvel's first ever X-Men election has officially closed, and the Hellfire Gala sweepstakes are now open. Be a part of Marvel's first annual Hellfire Gala in comics this summer and stand alongside some of your favorite mutants by entering the Marvel Insider drawn into X-Men Hellfire Gala sweepstakes. Starting today, February 14th, 
starting today from starting from today to February fourteenth, in fact the time is at the part of this podcast, that's at eleven fifty nine PM Eastern Standard Time, Marvel Insiders are eligible to enter the Marvel Insider drawn into X Men Hellfire Gala sweepstakes for a chance to attend the Hellfire Gala itself by being drawn into the into an issue of X Men this June. To enter Marvel Insiders should log in to their Marvel account Oh, and redeem 2,500 points for a chance to win. The winner will be notified later this month. Marvel Insiders can rack up points by engaging with Marvel on Marvel.com, watching videos and listening to podcasts, and more. Do you dream of hanging out with the X-Men? Now is your chance, you believers. Now Marvel Insiders, sign up today. Results for the first ever X-Men election, along with a full X-Men team, will be unveiled during the Hellfire Gala in Marvel Comics this June. Don't miss this epic chapter for the X-Men this summer. And, yeah... Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I already entered my sweepstakes. I'll probably lose, but I'll try my damnedest bet. Damn it. So, everyone, remember how you were all complaining about the uh, iconic piped-in crowd noise inside the Thunderdome? You can officially blame Tyson Kidd for that. Fightful came out reporting that, yep, Tyson Kidd suggested the WWE pumping in the crowd noise inside the Thunderdome. So you may officially blame Tyson Kidd for all that's wrong with the world. So, Edge has vowed that he plans to be on WWE TV every week heading into WrestleMania 37. Getting all emotional, he says that he's not going to be a guy who comes in one for, for in for one week and floats off for eight weeks. Trans, he might as well just say, I am not going to be a lazy part-timer like Brock Lesnar and Goldberg because I actually care about this business and not have a profitability issue and also because I have an ego issue. Ooh, but So, I'm going to do this. However... There was something else that came out. Edge reportedly was the one who pitched himself to win the Royal Rumble. Reports came out from Wrestling Observer Radio. Dave Meltzer reported that Edge was one of the ones who came up with the idea of him winning the Royal Rumble. They were going to do an I Quit Quit Match at WrestleMania, and Edge was in fact got this idea of coming back and winning the Royal Rumble and potentially winning the championship, so they had to get out the Randy stuff, and that's how they got out of it. Okay, I'm a little worried, so what they just said was Daniel Bryan was supposed to win, but they changed directions because Edge said something. Yeah. So that happened. Also, Matt Riddle has re-signed with WWE in December 2020. There have been question marks over his status with the company, but Riddle has signed a new contract. Reportedly, Fightful Select has since cleared up the situation, and they confirmed again that Riddle has indeed signed a new contract on tw- in 2020 of December. The deal was reportedly an entirely new contract, as opposed to just an extension, and will remain with them until 2023. Past reports that Riddle's downside guarantee is $400,000 per year, and he will receive an extra $50,000 for every Saudi Arabia event he works. The original bro has been signed with WWE since 2018 as the former NXT Tag Team Champion. He has spent the last couple of months being with Bobby Lashley in the Hurt Business over the U.S. title. So, yeah, expect the bro king to eventually get high on drugs. Hugs when it comes down to the eventual arrival of... Brock Lesnar. Yeah, that happened. Jay Lethal has re-signed with Ring of Honor. He has signed a new contract with the company, but the terms of the deals were not disclosed. So they have re-signed him for the company. He's back on board, and he's going to kick ass and take names probably still. 
The GoldenEye Xbox Remaster game leaks and is fully playable on PC. Which so GoldenEye 007 Remaster was supposed to be a planned project for the 360, it was canceled back in 2008, but it was but a nearly complete build of the project has now leaked online thanks to VGC. Fans of the classic games are now posting screenshots and footage of the unauthorized leak all over social media, and a lot of it says it is quite impressive. After a leak of the build was posted online a few days ago, triggering a surge of interest of the cancelled game. Yeah, so like the Master G Collection, it gives fans the options of switching between the revamped graphics and the original N64. However, the online multiplayer mode that was supposed to be included isn't in the build. Despite the status of one of the most beloved Despite status as one of the most beloved games, it never got an official remastered. GoldenEye composer Grant Crookhope, oh, who was involved with the project but was at Rare during its development, told VGC last week that the Xbox remaster was cancelled due to multiple stakeholders involved in the project, which included Activision, Microsoft, and Nintendo. The reimagining of the game was released in 2010, but it changed almost every aspect of the game, including changing Bond from Prince Brosnan to Daniel Cray. Because that's exactly what a remaster project is supposed to be. A glorified remake. Without actually being a remake. So, George R. R. Martin has revealed this in an interview. I wrote hundreds and hundreds of pages of The Winds of Winter in 2020. The best year I've had on WoW since I began it. Why? I don't know. Maybe the isolation? Or maybe I just got a roll on it. Sometimes I do get on a roll. So, Martin said, George R. R. Martin says that he still has hundreds more pages to write before it's finished. In 2021, he hopes to have finished the book, but he can't guarantee that he'll finish it this year. I'm willing to know predictions on when I will finish it. Every time I do, assholes on the internet take that as a promise, and then wait eagerly to crucify me when I miss the deadline. All I would say is, is that I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> My plate is is full to overflowing. Every time I wrap up one thing, three more things land on me. Monkeys on my back, aye aye. I've sung the song before, so many monkeys and Kong. So, yeah, Winds of Winter, the next Song of Fire and Ice book is is happening, and if there's hundreds of pages already written, it's said to be more, it might as well just be a massive omnibus. EA has expressed that they are not worried about Bioware, but has acknowledged some blips with the development, like the Anthem. But they're hoping that Mass Effect Legendary Edition will turn the tide on everything. So we'll have to look forward to that, and to be quite honest, I really freaking hope we do. So, let's see. CW announced that Renew's 12 series, including The Flash, Batwoman, and Legacies, Outside of the DC shows, fan favorites like Legacies, Walker, and Walker also got renewed as well. Yeah, as part of the... uh, So what was renewed was Batwoman, The Flash, Superman and Lois, two additional episodes on that, Legends of Tomorrow from DC, Walker, All-American, Charmed, Dynasty, Into the Dark, Legacies, Nancy Drew, Rivendale, and Roswell, New Mexico. All renewed for for another additional season. So, look forward to that, everyone. Look forward to that. So, remember when Matt Hardy teleported in AEW? Tony Khan admitted that he thought it was poorly executed. Yeah, and wished he never did it. He said this on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho, and admits that, yeah, that was your idea. There's stuff like that. There are, those are the things I tried to do a lot less this year. Honestly, that's a good example. There's stuff like that where somebody had to do something, and I knew I was skeptical going in, and I talked myself into it, and I wouldn't have had done it. It's not against you or the idea. It's just the way it was executed and the way we were talking about it, talking it about. 
I had a feeling it wasn't going to work, and that's the perfect example of things. I didn't do very many of them this year. We had many mistakes this year, but I tried to cut down on that. That's the perfect example where I wish we hadn't done it, but it was my fault. It really, If I really believed it in that strong, I should have stood up and said it. Your idea was good, but the very way we executed it on short notice, it didn't look right. It was tough. We were shorthanded in the pro- in the pandemic, and we were trying to do cool stuff. I think everybody was happy to have wrestling stuff, and we don't really co- do stuff like that on shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I like the teleportation thing because it's Matt Hardy. He's just weird, and yeah, it's just weird. We're closing in our two-hour mark, so this is gonna be a massive week of news. Oh, man, can't wait to go for the last half of this stuff. Rey Mysterio is confirmed he signed a new deal in WWE, and it says he plans to wrestle till you know, Father Time catches up and says it's time to go. 46 years old and still going strong. Now he just needs to get out of the Seth Rollins deal, and then he'll be free, and then we'll be free of the Buddy Murphy drama. Also, GameStop has announced three new high-level hires amid the stock price drama. Yeah. GameStop is hiring Matt Francis, the former engineering leader of Amazon Web Services, to become the retailer's first ever chief technology officer, CTO. Oh, his first day will be February 15th. Along with that, two more high-profile hires as well. Kelly Durkin will become the senior vice president for customer care er, when she starts on March 1st. Er, and the other new hire is Josh Kruger, who will become the vice president of the fulfillment at GameStop when uh, fulfillment and at GameStop when he starts on March first as well. He uh, previously worked as high, in high level fulfillment roles at Walmart, QVC, and Amazon. So yeah, they haven't discussed the recent activity surrounding the stock price, so we don't know yet what the company thinks about it, about what's happening, and how it might affect the business going forward. But it seems like they're going to take as much time with it. So, there's been something else that I wanted to talk about. This was literally last minute. So, when when I was planning to do this first part of the episode, there was a fan project called Total Drama Reunion. I had just heard about it today, at, on Wednesday. So, I had watched the episode, the first episode. It was, all right, a re-upload of it, because Fresh TV sent a season desist letter. Okay, so... Yeah, 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 that, yeah, a lot of people were mad about that, they've called them out on it, and they were told, season desist, stop it, due to copyright reasons, and Blue Entertainment went ahead and said that they saw this coming and whatnot, and they're trying to find other ways to tell the story, and let's hope they can, because honestly, I did enjoy the first episode, and to be quite honest, considering everything that happened with the show and canon, I needed something to actually be consistently good again so to end the first half of this massive episode before we go on break future state one-to-one yari floor is continuing on after the forward-looking event concludes in the previously announced series from writers and artist joey jones exploring yara's history as wonder girl and now dc has unveiled new details of the wonder girl title including when it will release wonder girl number one by joey jones previously announced a debate in march dc now states that wonder girl number one from writer and artist joey jones carlos jordy Bellerin, and lara clayton cowl Crow- 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 
else will arrive on May 18th. Before that, Yari 4 will appear in the DC. He will continue to appear in Future State and will be coming in in a story for the upcoming DC Infinite Frontier one-shot, setting up her Wonder Girl solo series. A solicitations reading from the description of DC's site, raised in the far-off land of Boris uh, of Idaho, Yari has always felt something has been missing from her life, and now she's headed to Brazil to find it. Little does she know, her arrival will set off a series of events that will change the world of Wonder Woman forever. Her return has been po- prophesized, and with the prophecy comes the undivided attention of benevolent gods from pantheons beyond. Danger lurks in every corner, but is this young hero ready for her journey? Find out in the debate issue that you absolutely cannot miss. So she continues the tradition of tradition, family, legacy. So, yeah, this was confirmed. Um, and I'm looking forward to Yuri Floor. I actually like the one Future State Wonder Woman book, and I've been enjoying it for the most part. I'm looking forward to this part of her story. I can't wait for it to be continued with her role as Wonder Girl, and we'll see how she interacts with Donna Troy and Cassie Sandsmark, the for, the former Wonder Girl turned Troya, and the Wonder Girl of Young Justice and Teen Titans fame. So yeah, the man will continue. So she will continue the mantle tradition of Wonder Girl when her solo title launches on May 18th, 8th, which will also be an outcoming with the full solicitations for May 2021 later this month from Newsarama. So everyone, this is currently the Neo Reality Collective Episode 3 edition, and we will be right back after these messages later this week. Stay tuned, and here's the word from our sponsors. We're back, everyone, after our break, and let's get into the final edition of Episode 3. We are now in Saturday, which means the weekend's over, which means I have went ahead and collected two days' worth of news that I thought was worth talking about. Total War Warhammer 3 has been announced for 2021. Creative Assembly has announced Total War Warhammer 3, which will arrive in 2021 for PC via Steam and Epic Game Store. In Total War Warhammer 3, each choice you will make shape the reality-shattering conflict to come, reads the tailored description. From the mysterious lands of the east to the daemon-infested realms of chaos, will you conquer your daemons, or command them? The trailer shows a battle between the Kingdom of Kislev, Heaven, Chrome-aligned Chaos Force, with teases of Nurgle, Oh, Solange, Tessalt-Tensens, okay, Chaos Forces, and a final peek at the Cathy faction. This will be the video game debut for the two uh, to the two later factions. And publisher Sega promises player will, players will wage war with the most diverse array of legendary heroes, gargantuan monsters, flying creatures, and magical powers that the series has ever seen. As for the new campaign, player says each player each will be given a task with saving or exploring the power of a dying god. Each race offers a unique journey through the nightmarish chaos, culminating in an endgame that will determine the fate of the world. Our vision from the start was to create a series that felt like an incredible journey through this world we all loved, said the game director, er, Ian Rockberg, er, in a PR. The enormous support of our players in ensuring that the success of the first two installments had pushed our ambition to new heights, and we can't wait for everyone to experience it. We awarded Total War Warhammer 2 a huge 9.1 out of 10 review, saying uh, this is from uh, IGN. 
And the story and objective driven of Warhammer 2 campaign is a league above every anything we've seen in the entire Total War series before in both design and presentation. Yeah, and also Ke- Henry Cavill, aka Superman, is a huge fan and ended up becoming an Easter egg in his own favorite game. Yay! He. <laughs> That's awesome. I suggest we should be seeing a beard that is CGI'd out. I know the horror is still there. Apple AirPods are the Apple AirPod Max are now available at Amazon according to IGN. The App AirPods Max wireless headphones are currently back ordered on Apple's website by a month. But if you're even in the market for a pair of quality headphones, you can order them from Amazon and they'll ship out right away. Amazon has hair. AirPods available in two colors, silver or in space gray. Qualities may be limited, quantities may be limited, so you might want to pick them up sooner than later if you're interested. Currently, both are cost at 550 bucks. Unlike their namesake, AirPod Max are not earbuds. Instead, they are full-size, high-quality wireless headphones. The quality is reflected in the price, which is 550 bucks. Apple says the AirPod Max were designed to offer high-fidelity audio, active noise cancellation, comfort, and quality. They feature special audio with head tracking, so sounds can appear to be coming from all around you as you watch movies and shows. They also have a transparency mode that lets you listen in on the outside world with a touch of a button. They're designed to be extremely comfortable to wear, even during long sessions. The canopy, or the top part of the AirPods Max, that rests on your head is made of a knit mesh material that Apple says distributes the weight evenly to ease the pressures you might feel when wearing other headphones. The frame is stainless steel, and the cuffs are anodized aluminum with memory foam pads that feel comfortable around your ears while also blocking out sound. On top of one of the cups, you'll find one of the, the controls. There's a button to charge the listening mode, and there's an Apple Watch-like digital crown, or knob, up that lets you control the volume, skip tracks, answer the phone, activate Siri. So there are a bunch of deals going on in this article. So they talk about more of the features. There's uh, like how it can detect when you take them off your head and they'll pause whatever music or podcast you're listening to. When you store them in the smart case, they come with the automatically into the ultra low power mode oh, to conserve battery life. Apple says AirPods Max last 20 hours between charges. And like other AirPod models, they're easy to pair with any other Apple products you have. They have a one tap setup mode that automatically pops up when you place your AirPod Max near your phone or iPad for the first time. They also offer seamless switching as you go from your iPhone to a iPad at or MacBook. They have also two internal microphone tunes to monitor the sound you're hearing and additional mar- microphone to capture your voice for phone calls. Of course, all those features and all that Apple design comes out of cost. AirPods Max definitely costs more than money, uh, many other wireless headphones on the market. But again, audiophiles know you can spend a lot more on headphones than this. So... I've seen the designs of the Apple AirPods. They're actually pretty look cool looking, and I do love the space gray. Would I ever be interested in getting them? I currently still own my AirPods with the charger head charger case, the generation 1.5 I call it. And while I would be interested, it's very expensive, so I'll probably have to wait till Black Friday happens if I ever think about getting one. But it does look like they're high in quality, high in condition quality, and does look comfortable to wear. But we'll see when the people, when I ever check it out for myself. Update on the Justice League Snyder Cut. It has been rated R by the MPAA. 
The long-awaited snack has received its official rating for rated R, violence in some language. The original cut was rated PG-13, aka the Josh Whedon cut, for sequences of sci-fi violence and action suggesting Sayaka will trend to some more adult waters. Hitting on March 18th, where we'll drop a single four-hour film rather than divide segments as previously thought. There's plenty of opportunities for Snyder to inject more violence in language, considering the Snyder Cut includes 150 minutes of previously unseen footage. And I've been actually debating about doing a bonus episode on Wednesday down the road, like the week when the Snyder Cut's supposed to release. East maybe do a special bonus episode of the show, covering the timeline and my opinions on the whole thing. If you haven't seen my YouTube channel on NeoRealityEntertainment.com on YouTube, who, yeah, I did cover a little bit of it in about a 20-minute video, but not on a podcast. So you get to experience my collective thoughts, no pun intended, on the entire timeline leading into the Snyder Cut. But again, these are just tentative plans in the making, and I have to round up as much articles and timelines as I can find. Ain't enough to get a concrete story to go over it. War Machine will appear and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Armor Wars will address Tony Stark's death. So the actor who plays War Machine will appear in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, according to a report from BroBible. Bro, Bro Bible spoke with, with the actor about his own Disney Plus show, Armor Wars, and how it will address the death of Tony Stark that happened in Endgame, but not before spilling the beans on his involvement in the next MCU show set to premiere on the streaming service. He said the fun of the MCU is that all the characters get to show up in other stories, He's across different mediums, be it movies or television, except for Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Jessica Jones, let's see, Daredevil, let's see, what else was there? Oh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, they're just, oh, they exist, we just don't acknowledge them. So, yeah, that clearly says that they show up. But with rumors going out that Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Charlie Cox, a.k.a. Daredevil, a.k.a. Awesome Character, will be showing up in Tom Holland's movie, in the upcoming third Spider-Man movie. I hope he does because he's the best attorney we can get for this, especially after Peter Parker was framed for murder and basically killing people. Oh, boy, busted. Anyways... So, he said this in, in the interview. It's really a fun and interesting, and by all imagination, completely open-ended, this can go anywhere. It's great. I can't wait to get in the room with the writers and figure out how these things connecting Armor Wars to the MCU happen. Rodney shows up in Winter Soldier and Falcon show. It can be a lot. This was new to the world, and it's unclear if it's a secret he let slipped out in classic Tom Holland fashion, or if it's something he's allowed to talk about. Regardless, it's exciting to learn that James Rhodes, host who is War Machine, will be involved with the Falcon and Winter Soldier in some capacity. He also explained to Bro Bible about how War Machine centers show Armor Wars will address Tony Stark's death. Uh, saying the death of Tony Stark, I'm pretty sure will play a role in the series. He's where we have been progressing, Rodney. He, even in the last film where he's now up again and he's now walking again and how he's now mobile again. So as technology continues to develop and we keep making innovations in the suit and what happens, I imagine there's going to be, a, be another evaluation and a way to, that we're going to keep digging into the part of Rodney. He continues instead of figuring out a way to bridge what's happening in the comics with what's happening in the MCU is really exciting. It's unknown at this time of Armor Wars is set to premiere on Disney+. Plus. But the Falcon Winter Soldier does premiere on March 19th, the day after the Snyder Cut comes out, which means there will be competition and glorious geek culture. Yeah, and we plus we got stuff going on in one division. So as reality falls apart, we are going to have to go and wait for Winter Soldier, Captain America, Falcon, and <laughs> War Machine to come in and kick ass and take names in the most unethical way possible. 
So, <clears throat> the Suicide Squad plot synopsis confirms Cordo Malstee's setting. Warner has released a new plot synopsis for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, one which confirms the movie will be set in a familiar DC locale. The war-torn nation of Corto Malstee will serve as a backdrop for the latest DC movie. Here's the official synopsis. Welcome to hell. Oh, okay. They're borrowing from Frank Miller. A.K.A. Bell Rev, the prison with the highest mortality rate of the U.S. of A. Yeah, that sounds about right. Where the worst supervillains are kept and where they will do anything to get out, even join the super secret, super shady Task Force X. Today's do or die assignment, assemble a collection of cons, including Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Captain Boomerang, Ratchetcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, and everyone's favorite psychopath, Harley Quinzel. Oh, then arm them heavily and drop them literally on a remote enemy infused island and of Corto Mastiles, Maltese. He's trekking through a jungle teaming with the militant adversaries and guerrilla forces at every turn. The squad is on a search and destroy mission. We run our Colonel Rick flag on the ground to make them behave. And Amanda Wars government techies in the ears, dragging their removal, and as always, one more move and they're dead, whether at the hands of their opponents, a teammate, or Waller herself. If anyone's laying down bets, the smart money is against them. All of them. So, I'm actually, they haven't revealed why exactly they were sent to that place. I'm pretty sure it's a, either going to be assassination mission, but some people believe it might be a doomsday weapon or a powerful relic like Eclipso's gem or the Green or Green Lantern ring. We haven't seen them yet. In the DCEU is an extended play, in an extended view, but we'll have to see where that goes. I'm honestly excited for James Gunn's take, and he's gonna work on Peacemaker. Maybe he'll, maybe he could be that bridge between two universes: the DCEU, the MCU, locked together in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So, anyways, we're gonna take a break from a little bit of pop culture other than Jurassic Park mentioning, because people have found the dinosaur fossils discovered may reveal the largest animal to ever walk the planet. Paleontologists have discovered the fossils of a dinosaur that's believed to be the largest animal to ever walk the earth. In a recently published report, research report, a team of paleontologists discussed the sheer size of some dinosaur fossils uncovered in, in a province in Argentina. I would try to pronounce the names, but I can't, so I'm not even going to try. The, the scientists revealed that they might be fossils of the largest animals to ever call the planet home, as reported by My Modern Met. The report states that the fossils that were found correspond to a dinosaur bigger than any other dinosaur in recorded history. The lead author of the report says the fossil is found between 10 to 20% bigger than any other fossil discovered on Earth. While the team isn't quite sure if the fossils belong to a dinosaur species already discovered or to a brand new species, the dinosaur is believed to be some type of titansaur. Yeah, that's an actual name. The Have you seen Jurassic Park? IGN states. These types of dinosaurs are apocerapod, discovered in fossil beds all around the world, and essentially really big dinosaurs. Types of titansauruses include the 77-ton Patotitan, Patotitan, and 110-ton Argentinosaurus. As noted by my modern met. The team has discovered 24 vertebrae from the dinosaur's tail and pelvic and pectoral gliders so far as the weight of the dinosaur can't be estimated until the team is able to find a vermeer or humerus bone. However, the fossils discovered are already large enough that these, the, the, than those found on the Patenton Titan and, and the 
Argentino Titansaurus. Yeah. These new fossils were discovered in a rock formation called the Candorius Formation, which formed roughly 98 million years ago during the Upper Cretaceous period. The first fossil was unearthed in 2012. Official excavations began in 2015. The team has worked since then to uncover 24 pieces of vertebrae it's already uncovered. Going for the estimate for the massive animal waits to be determined. Check out the, there's some more stories about T-Rex fossils that recently sold for $31.8 million. And then how scientists are extracting DNA from insects preserved in resin have in resin have no intention of raising dinosaurs a la Jurassic Park. Oh, man, we are all screwed. We are all doomed, and it will be all their fault. So, after the huge merger with Adbracer, Gearbox franchise may be used by other developers. Can we fire the Randy Pitchford now? Since now he's not supreme leader of Gearbox, he's just leader of Gearbox, which means he is under accountability, he's under scrutiny. Following the acquisition of Borderlands Studio Gearbox by Embracer Group for $1.3 billion, and Randy Pinchford says the deal could mean that other studios owned by Embracer Group could wind up making games with Gearbox properties. In a view view, Pritchard reaffirmed that Gearbox will still working on Homeland 3 in partnership with Blackbird Interactive, but the continuation of the franchise was just scratching the surface of the company's plans. The plans are Spectrum, I, the liar of the story, of intent of internally developed games with Gearbox IP, internally developed games with original IP from Gearbox. External partners are both publishing partners, where we're publishing them in a second-party relationship. And then there's also other developers working on Gearbox IP as well. That can expand, especially as we start interacting with uh, friction with other members of Embracer Group that have some interest. There are a lot of folks that would love to work on Gearbox IP, and Gearbox would love to help some of the Embracer Group games that might get stronger in other markets be published more effectively in North America. Other studios within Embracer Group include THQ Nordic, which has been gates and stuff, Saber Interactive, know about them, Koch Media, heard about them, Decca Games, Amplifier Game Invest, and Coffee Stain Holding, as well as Aspire Media and Easy Brain, which is acquired today alongside Gearbox as well at that time. And with these companies, Embracer has access to properties such as World War Z, NBA Play Playgrounds, Dead Island, Metro Exodus, Exodus, and Shadow Warrior. With the possibility to get a licensing agreement with Star Wars because there is a rumor going around. Specifically with Asper Media. Alongside the possibilities of existing Gearbox properties, Pitcher said elsewhere in the interview that he believes financial support from the Embracer group will allow the studio to pursue more new games and specifically have more risky ideas that have been that had been previously been unable to do. So, we have so many new IP concepts that are in our incubator that are ready to explode. We could wait for the right publishing partner who's willing to make a bet rather than take it than only take a risk on something that Gearbox has already done before. These publishers have taken risks on us for what we we want to see next and have been always rewarded. But for some reason they can't be comfortable with that kind of risk. Now we get to take that risk. We don't have to burn boats to do it. When Epic did their deal, they ended up spelling selling gear as a war to Microsoft. They burned the boats to show that they could do something you never expect from Epic before, and gaming got Fortnite out of it. Yeah, that was a great investment for the long run. If you're hearing stuff where society, school clicks, are using default as a loser term, yeah, that's a thing. 
So if if that's the thing, I think that's either A, you made a very dangerous game, or B, you have no idea what you've done. We don't have to do that. We can maximally deliver on our IP we have and pursue new IP as a consequence of this relationship. That's clearly exciting for me. I feel like we're just getting started. Getting started. We're hiding sensitive information in, in hard drives that will no doubt contain graphical content. Because I believe in magicians. When they're having things to exploit themselves. Anyways, more Mass Effect DLC stuff. For the Legendary Edition. So there was a DLC cut out of the game because of a corrupted source code. Mass Effect Legendary Edition and Shavery had to be the full-fledged definitive version. Aside from multiplayer, they will come with nearly every bit of DLC content. Except for one piece of DLC that may be permanently lost. The DLC is Pinnacle Station. An add-on for the first Mass Effect that was originally released on 360. And included a new map and 13 combat scenarios to help players hone their skills. Unfortunately, an interview with the Game Informer Legend Edition project director Mac Walters revealed that despite the developers' the best attempts, the DLC source code is corrupted beyond repair. Word of Pinnacle Station source code was, well, was actually dates back to when the Mass Effect trilogy was released on PS3. As in the Legendary Edition, Pinnacle Station was not included in the th- PS3 version, and at the time the developers shared it was due to the source code corruption. That issue persists today when Walters revealed that attempts to get the DLC into the Legendary Edition was an emotional roller coaster. Pinnacle Station was actually developed by an external studio called Demiurge. Demiurge? Bioware contacted them to see if they could get the original Pinnacle Station files from the team and the piece of Bioware's files, and although they were successful and found their source code, theirs too was corrupt. What they just said was the file was doomed to fail. This says the only way to get to the DLC into the Mass Effect Legendary Edition is if they were completely remade from scratch, which he says is not feasible because basically it takes us another full six months just to do this with most of the team we've got. I wish we could do it, honestly, just because this meant to be everything that the team ever created brought together again. And so leaving it all on the cutting room floor, it was heartbreaking. Walters is referring strictly to single-player content. Mass Effect 3's multiplayer mode won't be a part of the Legendary Edition, which Walters tells IGN was ultimately knowing where to draw the line. Walters cites challenges like incorporating crossplay and bridging in the small number of players still playing in the original multiplayer, and ultimately Walters said the players need to focus on creating a definitive single-player experience. So, yeah, they were trying, but they were like, yeah, it's too hard, essentially, it sounded like. But that that's probably just my opinion, and I could be horribly wrong. Yeah, I'm excited for the Legendary Edition. I just hope EA doesn't put their fingers all over it and make microtransaction screw jobs. And if they make new content, cut content added in, and it's not built to screw people over. Because, of course, they would think that. Anyways, so yeah, like I said, I'm excited for Legendary Edition. I hope it's pretty damn good. Looking forward to it. We'll have to see where that goes. Marvel Comics' 25th anniversary revival of its 1986 Heroes Reborn branding has started to expand beyond the four issues of the core limited series announced for May, with a pair of tie-ins now added to the mix, which is Kamala Khan, Miles Morales, Magneto, and more during the Reborn initiative. First up, there's Young Squadron, a Heroes Reborn 2021 take on the core trio of Marvel's champions, and it's from former champions writer Jeb Zev and artist Steve Cummings. In this case, Miles Morales, Kamala Khan, and Sam Alexander, the core universe of Spider-Man, Ms. Marvel, and Novus, respectively, will take on totally new superheroic identities and even powers inspired not by the Avengers, who never formed in this new Reborn universe, but by America's super team protectors, the Squadron Supreme. 
Sam Alexander would gain Dr. Spectrum's construct powers as Kid Spectrum. Miles Morales would become the Falcon, partner of Nighthawk, replacing Nighthawk's now deceased original sidekick. And finally, Kamala Khan will become Girl Power, getting her powers not through the Inhuman Terrigen Mist, but an artificial from the Homeworld Power Princess. Yeah, and if they're wondering who the heck these people are, they're the core members of Marvel Squadron Supreme. Originally introduced in 1969's Avengers 69 as the villainous Squadron Sinister, 1971's 85 introduced used, uh, the characters as Squadron Supreme, the heroes of an alternate world who were essentially all pastiche homage characters based on DC. He's Justice League as a sly way of having the tunes face out before a real intercompany Avengers JLA fight was actually possible on the page. Since then, they appeared in several different titles and different incarnations from a variety of multiversal worlds, though, such as Hyperion and Nighthawk, have extended stays in the core Marvel universe. Oddly enough, Young Squadron will also feature Deadpool, whose fourth wall breaking nature may come into play. Hey. Beneath the flashy facade of colorful adventure, something grim is stirring, and Deadpool is determined to bring it to light. So, Heroes Reborn, a limited series written by Jason Aaron and artist Ed McGinnis have built an incredibly fun premise in Heroes Reborn. It's a twisted mirror that reflects all the characters we know and love, set against the, both the familiar and wildly unexpected. Taking the core idea, putting, pulling it further out to show how it affects the Champions trio of Miles, Kamala, and Sam, it's a blast. That's the game to do that with my Champions collaborator Stephen Cummings makes it even more fun. Then there's Magneto and the Mutant Force, from writer Steve Orlando and artist Brandon Chang which picks up the adventures of Magneto, now apparently using a floating wheelchair like Convoyance, like, <laughs> Convoyance, it's like Charles Xavier did in the 90s, as he leads a team of mutants on a mission for hope for mutant kind in Orlando's words. I didn't expect Magneto and the mutant force and those unexpected moments are where some of the most exciting stories are found. Steve Orlando tells AIPT, who announced Magneto and mutant force, and if you go on my original YouTube channel, Neo Reality Entertainment, I actually interviewed Steve Orlando. Yay! We got we made history. Yay! Who knows? I may up re-upload that for the Anchor.fm exclusive, just for the heck of it, as a special bonus episode. The world of Heroes Reborn is a beautiful knot. There are contradictions of events like Age of Apocalypse or House of M. The very kind of events that pulled me in from the small from the mall hallways and got me to the spinner rack as a kid. Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis' world shows us just how pivotal the adventures are by their absence. If I make Nito and his mutant force, the fight for mutant freedom is deadlier than ever. So, they said in the solicitations, Years ago, Magneto and Professor X led Earth's mutants in a final push for independence against the Squadron Supreme of America. Which followed what followed was the squadron's mutant massacre. A violent rebel that left mutant forever wounded and Xavier dead, or so Magneto thought. Years later, Magneto discovers Xavier clinging to life in an astral plane and gathers his allies for a first-of-its-kind mission. Too bad the same mission puts, puts mutant force back on Squadron's door. Failure means the last gap of mutant kind, but success means the first breath of something even more elusive to the mutants of Heroes Reborn. Hope. Yeah, for those who don't know about Mutant Force, it's a used, it's used by an obscure 70s version of Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants who took on Captain America. Created by Jack Kirby, the team consisted of oddballs as Lefter, 
Burner, Shocker, and Pepper, who recently returned to Sword number one. No idea if any of these characters will show up in the new title, but given what Steve Rennie's reputation for encyclopedia comic book knowledge and his self-professed love for obscure characters, it's a safe bet someone interesting and weird will show up. The title has stated at length, though both will debate in May alongside the Core Heroes of War Limited series. So, I think... I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think the King of Black ends around that time. So they're like, eh, let's just do another event. Even though we got, what, three events happening at once? Like, we got the King in Black. We got the Avengers Enter the Phoenix. We got, let's see, what was that other event we were doing? Oh, we got the Hellfire Gala coming soon in, in June. So, yeah. Oh, God. They really just want to keep pushing the whole event stuff. So video games have helped Konami, the evil company that doesn't like Hideo Kojima, to a record nine months. Kodami's digital entertainment business, which includes mobile games, computer and video games, and card games, not only popped, propped up Konami's financial year mid the pandemic, but it drove to record high profits. In the company's latest earnings release, Konami makes it clear that many of its business segments, including casino gaming, sports clubs, and amusements, suffered major drops due to lockdowns and the societal effects of the pandemic. However, as we've seen across the industry, at home gaming saw a huge boost. So, does that mean that Konami is actually going to try with their video games again? Hoping? Yeah. So, as I... <laughs> Yeah, especially in the world. So let's just hope they can beat Buddies with Kojima again, but I don't see that happening. But uh, yeah, Konami really has to work to get back the trust of its fans and get back a lot of stuff back from with fans. We'll have to see where it goes, but that also depends. Sony wants PS5 to exceed PS4's 14.8 million second-year sales. Elizabeth parts shortages... News might stop that. Sony plans to sell over 14.8 million PS5 units during the second financial year on sale, April 2021 to March 2022. That's more than the hugely successful PS4 shipped in its own second financial year. But that goal could be affected by the global semi semiconductor shortage. And brief following Sony Q Sony Quarter 3 FY 2020 earnings. Inks, transcribed by Motley Fool, a Spony spokesperson noted the company's hopes to outsell the PS4's second year sales numbers for the next fiscal year. We believe that there will be a strong demand to continue. That second year of the launch of the PS4 hit 14.8. We would like to exceed that level of the PS4 when it comes to PS5. The statement came in response to a question how PS5's lower inventory being in a consequence of a super semiconductor shortage, which was inhabited by how many countries can be manufactured, can be manufactured, could continue to do. However, we look at the global shortage of semiconductors. When we try to increase our capacity, we face difficulties because of this global situation. As first reported, as was reported in January, in late January, EMD is anticipating shortages through the first half of 2021, caused in part by lack of semiconductors entering the market. AMD chips help power the PS5, meaning that those could well be, be a knockoff effect on Sony and for the production of more PS5 units. In the short term, Sony stays on track to meet its current year sales target, 7.6 million by March 31st, but notes that it may not be able it, it was not able to meet the level high level of demand from customers, which it expects to continue into the next physical year. Sony's earnings revealed that they are sold 4.5 million at the as of December 2020, matching the PS4's launch. So, yeah, bad things all around, and Sony maybe should start considering alternate takes on what they should do.
Oh, man. Wow. So, Eternal star Salem Hayek has revealed that Marvel's Eternals were shot very differently to most MCU movies. So, yeah, they explain... So, she explained... Um, could be wrong if she's... Yeah, it's a she. How the upcoming Phase 4 movies are differing from the other MCU ent- 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 entries. In an interview with Variety Hayek, who was starring the Mighty Ajax back in Phase 4 movie, spoke about how the Eternal script was brought to life and how it sets itself apart from the MCUs. Notably, she highlighted the cinematography and production style combined with the use of relocations as the primary reason for the movies being different from its predecessor. It's a completely different DNA from the other Marvel movies. It's shot different from all the other ones. It's in relocations, and they find some crazy see, extraterrestrial-looking locations. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that, what they do with the camera, but it's not mostly done in post. The cinematography is incredible. We previously learned that Eternals director Chloe... Chloe Zhao shot the movie with the same rig that she used for an indie film, Nomadland, and because she repeatedly, reportedly wanted to keep the story grounded and experimental despite its very big, sweeping, multi-millennial spanning story, which also apparently came packaged with the best pitch Marvel's Kevin Feige has ever heard. Reportedly, the most, sci- the most sci-fi movie in the MCU, Eternals follows the exploits of an immoral alien race created by the Celestials as they reunite to protect humanity from their evil counterparts, the Deviants. Hick, who admits she knew very little about her character before accepting her role, portrays a centuries-old champion who humans have previously mistaken for the Aztec de Quetzalcoatl. The very fact that I managed to pronounce that correctly is amazing. She referred to herself as Ajak, Hack for the first time as an empowering experience. There was something really moving, not just for me, but for everything, all the different stereotypes. She's not sexy. You know what I'm saying. She's not sexy at all. I'm very short. I've been bullied for being short my entire life. It certainly doesn't matter. You're a superhero in the Marvel Universe. It moved me. You're also a mighty essentially an immortal god that can't die, even when their heads blow off. Often then they come back when they realize their entire existence is a lie. Yeah, that was the thing Jason Aaron did. I will never understand that. So, <laughs> let's move on. So, Activision is being sued over a female character in Call of Duty. In another lawsuit leveled at Call of Duty publisher Activision, writer and photographer Clayton Hagen and has alleged that the Call of Duty character Mara is based off of a character he developed called Cad Janus. Both characters have been portrayed in live-action photo shoots by the same model, Alexandra. A press release provided by Potslot's firm, who are representing Hagen, says that he created the Cad Genius as part of a story treatment to draw interest from various movie production companies. A photo shoot of Alexandra portraying the character. The release says that he posted these details and images on his website to attract attention, though he no longer appears to have an active website. The images appear on his Instagram account, though. These posts don't include a name or details about the character. The character was released a few years later in December 2019 as part of Modern Warfare Season 1. Model provided the likeness for a character's model, as well as modeling the live-action promotional imagery for the character. Mara has since been released in Call of Duty Mobile and Warzone. The lawsuit alleges that Activision used his images when developing her, as well as hiring the same model and makeup artist for his use for the original shoot. It also claims that those involved were made to sign non-disclosure agreements to cover up the infringement. Yes, the non-disclosure agreements. The same legal team are currently involved in a similar lawsuit, also targeting Activision with wrestler Booker T. Sucker! 
Huffman claiming that Call of Duty Black Ops 4's profit is a copy of his GI Bro alter ego. That lawsuit is set for trial in April. The trial has similarities to a lawsuit filed against GTA 5 publisher Take 2 interacted by Lindsay Lohan, who the actress alleging that the game character Lacey Jones was unlawfully based on her. The case was thrown out when a five panel judge when a five judge panel concluded that Jones was simply a generic twenty something female character. Ouch. Activision has successfully defended itself against other lawsuits in the past, including one brought by Humvee manufacturer GM for its use of its vehicles in Call of Duty games and lawsuits involving the depictions of real-life people, including Jonas Savernbry and Michael I can't pronounce Michael Manuel. Oh, yeah, sorry. Trying to get these names right hard at times. Yeah, at least with all those, at least with the with the Grand Theft Auto part, you can at least say there's a ton of blonde women and all of them looking like someone. There's a ton of blonde women in the world and there are probably a few that look like another one. And like that is a rather weird cosmic coincidence that happens. But when it comes to this one particularly, the new one for Activision, the fact they hired the same person and the same crew does be telling. So we'll have to see where that court trial goes. So, the SEC is apparently looking for evidence of fraud around GameStop stocks. After a tumultuous week that saw GameStop's previously flagging stock rise to prices of over $400 per share, sources cited by Bloomberg claim that SEC is looking for over social media forum posts for evidence of market manipulation. The investigation will also look into other companies caught up in the surge, including AMC Entertainment Holdings, which was thrown on much near lifeline after the sudden increase in investor interest. The tumultuous week for GameStop stock has been attributed mostly to retail traders from subreddit Wall Street Bets, where GameStop was popularized as a meme stock, according to one of subreddit's moderators. Allegations of by some of the industry, including notorious short seller Carson Block, claimed that the short, short squeezes may have just orchestrated by professional investors who either took advantage of the red type or helped build it to, to build it. Acting Chair Allison Heron Lee said the agency was looking at the compliance compl- compliance with regulatory obligations, adequate and consistent risk disclosure, determining if any fraudulent manipulation behavior or has occurred. The GameStop situation was big enough to gain the attention of White House and high-level public officials, making investigations into the event a much higher priority. And any investigation will look at both trading data and social media posts to try and detect purposeful examples of driving up share prices. In the past, they detected a case of only 15-year-old who buy micro-cap stocks, then hyping them up the stocks and selling them for profit. Suspiciously, time traders have, will be scrutinized against match posts on social media in an effort to see if a similar type of market manipulation was in play with GameStop stock. Some also raise concerns about the role bots have played in the whole debacle. With the mod for the Wall Street Bets telling CBS News, we've detected a large amount of bot activity in the subreddit. We can't speak to the source, but we have seen our on-moderator block a lot of posts recently that were very similar in content. Lawyer quoted Bloomberg saying, by Bloomberg says, as that such cases aren't easy to litigate and find evidence for. It's no crime to go into a website and say, I think the stock's going to go up, said Brad Bennett, a former enforcement chief for the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FIRA. If the people choose to follow you, no, that's a violation or a crime either. Posters on Wall Street belts are well aware of their, that their behavior may be considered market manipulation by outsiders when a number of several internal means echoing disclaimers languages such as this is not financial based, I don't know what I'm doing, or I just like the stock. The SEC doesn't seem to be investigating hedge funds at this point. It will also be looking to how brokers 
Errors include the situation, handle the situation, whether all rules were complied with when trades on certain stocks were restricted or stopped altogether. So I still am not an expert on this stuff, but uh, yeah, this whole thing has been a complete roller coaster. Like they're even gonna make a TV series and movies now about it from the guy who made the Social Network book. That's the thing. I don't know why this is so crazy. I, I just know it is. And, yeah. Like, GameStop and AMC really benefited from this. And we'll have to see where it goes out from this. Due to the COVID virus, because we have to live with it for a while, Fantastic Beast 3 production has been suspended due to it. It's reported that a crew member has tested positive for the virus. Shooting on Fantastic Beasts which has been paused while the unnamed crew member goes into isolation. The movie is currently filming being at Warner Bros. Studio in, in the UK, according to Variety. In a statement, a Warner spokesman said, A team member of the Fantastic Beasts 3 has tested positive for COVID-19. The diagnosis was confirmed as a result of required and ongoing testing that all production employees receive and that the team member is currently in isolation. Out of an abundance of caution, the pro- we have paused production and will be back up in accordance with the safety guidelines. Yeah, sets released in January of July 22nd, 2022. We just need 22 months instead of the standard 12, and then we would have 2022-22-22-22. Because that would be a weird thing. The Amazon CEO replacing Jeff Bezos will not abandon gaming. Andy J.C., the new Amazon CEO who is taking over after Jeff Bezos steps down, has pledged his support to help the company do better and do more in the gaming space. Saying in an email to the staff, obtained by Bloomberg, the Amazon Game Studios might not have succeeded right away, but he's in it for the long haul. Some of the businesses take off in the first year. Others take many years. Though we, have consistent, we haven't consistently succeeded yet in AGS, I believe we will if we hang in there. AGS, hang in! Amazon, hang in! Amazon's highest profile games today have not broken out in the way that the company might have wanted. The multiplayer game Crucible failed to find an audience at launch. Amazon moved the game back into closed beta and then eventually canceled it. The company's other big multiplayer games, Breakaway, was canceled completely. Some of the company's current projects include two MMOs, one called New World and the other called Being a Lord of the Rings game because they have a Lord of the Rings massive TV series being produced. JC, Jassy said in his memo that AGS can succeed if they stay the course. Being successful right away is obviously less stressful, but when it, is, it takes longer, it's often sweeter. I believe this team will get there if we e stay focused on what matters most. Exploiting our customers and undermining small businesses. AGS is run by Mike Franzi, an Amazon veteran who has been with the company for nearly two decades. Bloomberg recently interviewed more than two dozen people connected to the studio. Sue said the game studio created a bro culture that drove women out of the company. The Fernandzi emailed his team to report respond to this report, saying the company has a zero tolerance for this type of behavior. He went on to acknowledge that despite track record so far with the game development, making great games is hard, and we're not going to get everything right. Although Bezos is stepping down, he will remain on the company he's board of directors and weigh in on key decisions. However, his day-to-day role scaled back. Bezos will take more time to focus on his other pursuits and passions, like his rocket company Blue Origin and the newspaper per Washington Post. Another tech giant, Google, recently scaled back on his own video game efforts, closing its two internal game studios, impacting 150 people. Yeah, yeah. So, that happened. I still am shocked that Bezos stepped down. But, 
Yeah, it is what it is at the end of it. Co-master shareholders have voted to formally approve the company's sales at EA. The takeover should now be legally sanctioned during a court hearing on February 16, pending other co- competition law approvals, finalizing EA's $1.2 billion acquisition of the game developer and publisher Co-masters. As reported by VGC, 63 of 76 shareholders voted in favor of approving the deal during a remote court meeting on Wednesday, which represents nearly 99% of shares held. The co-master's board directors have previously recommended the company's shareholders vote in favor of the purchase, saying that EA's experience in creating live service games with its wealth of resources will allow EA to dominate the racing game genre once it adds the various co-master studios to its collection. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you gotta remember this is EA. Once the deal is finalized, franchises like Dirt Rally, Grind, Grid, and F1 will be added to EA's library of games. Co-Masters also recently secured the rights to FIA World Rally Championship, WRC, and acquired slightly mad studios developer behind Project Cars and Fast and Furious Crossroads, because we have to talk about that, huh? Take-Two initially offered Co-Masters $994 million back in... November before EA made its counteroffer. During its third quarter results, EA said the deal would enable the company to release a new racing game annually. Because we need annual rush releases. Yeah, as we continue to deal with the whole EA is the massive company that likes to undermine all the small businesses, they do have the financial security, so we're all basically screwed. Really screwed. I, I don't know why. I will never get why. But that's what it is. We have to accept that for a while and just try to help things work out. Especially after the surprise mechanics break out. So Gearbox founder teases new IP that could shake things up like Borderlands did. So I'm not even going to go into this after the sale and everything. I already talked about the whole risk take they want to do. But at the same time, this is Randy Pitchford saying this. Yeah. Remember the last time he superly hyped up a game so much and it led into complete other disaster? It was called Alien Colonial Marines, and we all know how that was a disaster. So, do I think he, he's telling the truth? Honestly, no, but that's a different matter. But we'll have to see if he can fulfill this promise, but I don't have my hopes up. The NFL wants more video games announces. Wants more video games announces Game Jam! EA is looking to expand its presence in mobile gaming and the most popular gaming platform in the U.S. What Hen has announced announced a new game jam source where developers can create football video games with NFL branding. Okay, uh, here's an idea. How about because you want to expand your uh, one more video games and expansion, cancel the deal with EA and have competition. What? We can't do that idea because it would make too much sense? Okay, we'll just do microtransactions bullshit. Good luck with that. New Japan Pro Wrestling continues to shock the world. In the aftermath of Kenta's arrival, New Japan Pro Wrestling announced the big news. They have announced that they have finally acquired a deal with somebody. They have announced that they have acquired a deal to Air TV or Roku. What, did you think I was going to say anything else? <laughs> you gullible fools. New Japan Pro Wrestling has announced for Variety that the wrestling company is launching its own Roku channel in the near future. The channel will be viewable in America! America! F yeah! 
Canada, and the UK. Beginning February 11th, New Japan will air every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, then replays will be available on demand. Additionally, the Roku channel will have a slew of content from New Japan Pro Wrestling 2020 events, so new fans can be initiated with the company fairly quickly. Our fans in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom are among our most loyal, and they have been very clear that they want New Japan Pro Wrestling content made available to them. The New Japan Pro Wrestling is unlike any other wrestling company in the world. It is the most athletic, sports-oriented pro wrestling on the planet. We are excited to bring our athletes and matches to these markets in such a major way. Thank you to the Roku channel. And to look for and look forward to a successful partnership that brings New Japan Pro Wrestling to millions of new fans around the world. So this is from the president who succeeded Harold Meijin then as president back in October, who was a key figure in the Western expansion, getting American audiences familiar with the product and stars of the company, taking them on the U.S. tour for most of 2018, which led to the G1 Supercard show and ROH in 2019, selling out New York City's Madison Square Garden. And they were going to do Wrestle Dynasty, and then the pandemic happened, and I'm still mad about that. Damn you, coronavirus! New Japan has a deal with Access TV, had a deal with them, was showing months old programs as an event for, for a couple of years, but eventually went to the Canadian-based Fight Networking in 2016. I like there was other reasons, like reportedly after Anthem bought Access TV, they said, look, we'll keep you on board the show on the network if you do a partnership with New Japan, but because New Japan was very traditional and hated New Impact Wrestling because of the whole Okada thing, yeah, they said no, we'll be dropped, please. Like, we would rather be dropped, lose money, lose investments, lose our hard work in trying to get to the expansion in the Americas, just, just so we don't partner with people who had mismanaged Okada who probably aren't even working there anymore. See the problem here? Yeah. 20-year-old who made thousands of dollars on GameStop stock donates Switch consoles to children's hospitals. A 20-year-old college student at Cornell University made thousands from the GameStop's price surge urging the stock market, and he's doing something very noble with that money. The, mon- the man named Hunter Khan told CNN that he used some of his earnings from his GameStop to pay six Nintendo Switch Lite consoles that he donated to the children's Minnesota hospital in Minneapolis. Khan cashed out of his GameStop post position last week, earning $30,000 from his investment. Khan said an Instagram post that he felt a duty to pay it forward after making big money in his GameStop stock. These events have highlighted a lot of corruption, and with this transfer of power, it is important that we don't become the men in suits ourselves. I am proud to announce my humble donation of six Nintendo Switch consoles and games aims to go with them to the Children's Minnesota Hospital. Can't stop, won't stop. He also donated games, eShop cards, and screen protectors for a total donation value of $2,000. The president of the Children's Hospital told CNN, We're so grateful for this generous donation. And that will bring help, help that will help bring joy to the kids at our hospital, especially during these challenging times. James Khan ended the interview saying, There's no group of people more deserving of receiving a bunch of video games than some kids going through a hard time. Cool, man. That's cool. So praise be to that. Praise be to 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 happiness and everything in this royally messed up world that hates happiness and joy. Tom Holland has said that Spy- the next Spider-Man movie will be the most ambitious standalone superhero movie ever made in an interview with Variety. I can say that it's the most ambitious standalone superhero movie ever made. He 
he said on the Award Circuit podcast. You sit down, read the script, and see what they're trying to do. They're succeeding, and it's really impressive. I've never seen a standalone superhero quite like that, and I'm just that lucky little boy who happens to be Spider-Man in it. We got a lot more shooting to do. We started before Christmas and shot for like seven weeks. We stopped for Christmas break, and then we're starting again. I'm just excited as everyone else to see it, let alone be part of it. The comment by Holland does seem to hit on IGN to bolster the theories that Spider-Man 3 is whipping up to be some sort of multiverse, or the Spider-Verse storyline featuring actors from four, from the different film incarnations, such as Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, along with Kristen Dunst, Mary Jane Watson, the... Although Disney and Marvel have confirmed those rumors of their casting, the sequel is also confirmed to have Doctor Strange, actor Benedict Cumberbatch, and Alfred, with Alvin Molana expected to reprise his Spider-Man 2 role as Doctor Octopus, first Doc, and Jamie Foxx returning as Electro from Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Daredevil Charlie Cox is also rumored to have joined the Spider-Man 3 cast, having reported their inspired on sets, but news remains unconfirmed. Yeah, they have re- they re- they will be resuming in the near future after they took a break over the winter holidays. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm hoping for for big things regarding Tom Holland and all these big projects he has going for him. I'm looking forward to Spider-Man 3 because it looks like the Avengers little hero heroism. Along with Scarlet Witch's breakdown and Loki going other places outside the current timeline has resulted in the Avengers completely shattering it. Because of course that has to be it. Which means Bruce Banner is going to have to deliver guilt that he caused the first crisis event in Marvel. But also that's not all what Tom Holland said. He said he also wants to play James Bond someday. But I mean, ultimately, as a young British who lad who loves cinema, I'd love to be James Bond. I'm just putting that out there. I look pretty good in a suit. Actor Daniel Craig is ending his role out to Time to Die, released in October. Though, let's be honest, they're probably never going to release it at this point with the pandemic rate going. Especially when you got a wrestler going ahead and doing parties. I'll get to her eventually. So, the youngest actor was 29 years old, named George Lansbury, who, who, when he filmed On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Holland will turn 25 years old this June. Also, in the interview, he teased that, he's, that he has two upcoming roles that he was very excited to announce, but can't yet. I've got two roles coming up that I'm playing in the next few years that I'm really excited about, but I can't talk about them yet. Especially with the whole playing uh, Nathan Drake in Uncharted. We all know that. I'm hoping that's a good thing. So, Apple's rumored VR headset is rumored to cost $3,000. Might launch in 2022. The information, a site, has reportedly seen early designs and spoke to be released one Apple employee died to the project, saying that the headset is in the late stages of development and could launch early as 2022. The headset is said to feature 12 cameras for tracking and capturing video from outside the headset, which will be crucial in delivering its AR functionality too. It will additionally feature eye tracking, which can help reduce rendering loads on parts of the screen that when you are focusing, and LADAR sensors to accurately measure distances between objects and AR. The design is said to be like traditional consumer headsets, albeit with two 8K displays where you die, interchangeable head straps, spatial audio like that feature in the AirPods Max. All these features come at the expensive cost of, of a retail price of three thousand. That is almost three times the size more than Valve's Index headset, one of the most premium VR experiences on the market today. That suggests that Apple might not be aiming for the wider consumer market with this product, instead of targeting enterprise customers like Microsoft, who has its has with its three thousand five hundred dollar Hololens too. 
It's entirely possible that Apple never releases a VR headset, considering the company's history of developing radically new products before canceling them. The headset has been, has been released since 2018 with similar features, the AK displays, for example, already being suggested then. So, yeah, it looks like I'm not going to get that. But we got tragic news. On February 4th, 2021, Robert A. Altman, the CEO of ZeniMax and co-founder of Sony Developing Studios, the parent company of Bethesda Software, has tragically passed away. It was announced on February 4th, 2021, Bethesda shared the news on a post on Twitter, her stating at the at this, we are deeply saddened to tell you the passing of Robert A. Altman, our founder and CEO. He was a true visionary friend and believer in the spirit of people and the people and what they could accomplish together. He was an extraordinary leader and an even better human being. A moment of silence. Okay. So yeah. 2021 already reminds me of 2020 more. So, yeah, there's just more talks about this, about uh, the impending sale of ZeniMax and Microsoft. Uh, a lot of people express their condolences, such as uh, Microsoft CEO and Spencer and Phil Spencer giving their condolences. And Nintendo of America President Doug Browser is also among those speaking out on Twitter, sharing his shock over the passing. So he is survived by his wife, Hey, Wonder Woman actress Linda Carter and their chill chill two children. Ah yes, Wonder Woman. At least she at least he married a, a courageous woman. Sorry, cut. Director reveals new image of Batman from the HBO Max film. So yeah, once again we get more stuff going on with Zack Snyder on Vero and Twitter, where he showcases a new image of the nightmare scene of Batman. And he doesn't show much, he just shows Batman in the hallway saying, uh, hashtag Zack Snyder's Justice League, hashtag Snyder Cut, with him writing text saying, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it just shows him wearing the nightmare jacket in a dark hallway. So, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So, yeah, releasing on March 18th, everybody. Sony has a... And, and in, a, in a rather surprising announcement, there has been an untitled Resident Evil origin movie with will releasing this summer, er, expected to arrive September third, twenty twenty one, exact, just seven months from now. Except no one, except did production of the film wrap up back in December, as the official Resident Evil Twitter account sent an ominous image featuring white noise on a TV screen. A lot of familiar names are on this. Kaylee, I can't pronounce the last name. Maze Runner will play Claire Redfield. Hannah John Cameron, and from Ant-Man and the Wasp, plays Jill Valentine. Robert Mill will play Chris Redfield. Tom Hopper from the Umbrella Academy will play Albert Wesker. Avin from Zombieland Double Tap, Tap as Leon S. Kennedy. And Neil McDonough from Yellowstone play William Burskin. Sony Pictures Screen Gems will distribute the movie domestically, so as this writing will be in theaters. They have six months in the previous Resident Evil, six movies in the previous franchise, all written and directed by Paul W. Dus Anderson, and I keep assuming that's his wife, Mila Jovovich. Yeah, yeah, let's be honest, those movies, looking back on it, was just bad. The last one was just contradiction after contradiction. Marvel's Heroes Reborn also gives Marvel its own Superboy and Legion of Superheroes team. 
Marvel superior with Squadron Supreme, the last of ever dying universe for an incredible solar power stray, will get some new history in the reborn universe. A world in which the Avengers never formed and Squadron Supreme are Earth's mightiest heroes. So, yeah. They're bringing in a team with powers and concepts resembling the Justice League before actual intercompany crossover is possible. Oh, oddly enough, the Imperial Guard were originally another group of loose pastiche homage characters for a different superhero team, the Legion of Superheroes. So, created as an adversary for the X-Men, the Imperial Guard were co-created by legendary uncanny X-Men artist Dave, Dave Cockrum, Crack- Cork- who had originally designed several 70s X-Men characters such as Nightcrawler and Storm in slightly different forms, to debut in his DC runs of Legion. Prior to joining Marvel's X-Men work, as such, each member of the original Guard pays specific homage to DC's Legion Air, with the Imperial Guard's leader, Gladiator, meant as a pastiche for Superboy, who is part of the Silver Age Legion of Superheroes. So what that means is, the Heroes Were Born 2021 universe, one of Marvel's versions of Superman, spent time alongside a group of alien heroes, who are Marvel's version of the Legion of Superheroes, like Superboy, who himself has his own separate Marvel homage character in the mix. Wheels within wheels. And according to Ryan... Caddy, it's all totally on purpose. Those, those luck, those conniving people. We are fully embracing the metafiction in our one shot, diving headfirst into this new world have, that Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis have constructed. This is where C- he tells CBR, which was who had announced the one shot, and more interviews about how they're thrilled to do this project and whatnot, and. It, and there was one other thing. Hyperion the Imperial Guard will spin off into a separate tile based on the Star Jammers, a group of X-Men allies slash adversaries who make their living as pirates of Sh- in Shi'ar space, who are led by Corsair, the father of X-Men Cyclops. Consor, who is currently doing stuff in the X-Men books as part of the Krakoa Nation. Yeah. Th- so this is a pretty exciting time. We'll have to see where that goes. Both. Along with that, Spider-Man gets a Superman-style twist in Heroes Reborn. Spider-Man's getting a makeover make- this summer in Marvel Comics' Heroes Reborn event, making him more like his DC counterpart, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yeah. There will be a one-shot title, Peter Parker, The Amazing Shutterbug, number one. This, this Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen-esque take on the Marvel's Rollcrawler will be granted by journalist-turned-fiction writer Mark Bernandin. And an artist, Raphael De La Torre, or saying, with Brendier uh, saying, I can't be more excited to put Peter Parker through the pe- his paces for this The Heroes Were Born event. As a New York yearn, Spider-Man has always held a special place in my heart, and to get a strip away much of what we know about the character and rediscover what makes Peter tick is proving to be a blast. A lifetime spent making dumb quips is finally being put to good use. But yeah, he's becoming the Jimmy Olsen of the Marvel's Heroes Were Born universe. So, th- this is clearly Marvel trying to be like, a, hey, it's the DC Universe, but it's not really the DC Universe. And like our other alternative DC Universe-esque event. And we blew it up because Namor's kind of a jerk. So, yeah. There have been more Infinite Frontier details introducing the new DC Universe revealed. So, it's been officially announced that the full character and creator lineup of, and a few in- new images for the March 2nd kickoff of the new version of the DC Universe the publisher has deemed the Infinite Frontier era. What has been announced is that Brian Michael Bendis will write Justice League, James Tyron will write The Batman, Becky Cullen and Michael W. Conrad will be doing Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl by Jolie Jones, Green Lantern by Alan Scott by James Tyron IV, Teen Titans Academy by Tim Sheridan, Superman by Philip Kennedy Johnson, 
Green Arrow and Black Canary by Joshua Williamson, Stargirl by Jeff Johns, because Stargirl is more is very important to him, The Green Lanterns by Jeffrey Thorne, Dexter Soy and Alex Sinclair, The Flash by Joshua Williamson, Harry Porter and Hi-Fi. Hey, so yeah. The stories ha- that don't have bear watching. DCR reveal Jeff Johns will be returning to his creation of Stargirl and a special initials announcement that will almost certainly see some sort of new title, perhaps digitally down the road. A couple of stories by Williamson are also interesting. And as Games Radar noted, game, uh, Green Arrow Black Green could just be an adi- though could just be an additional introduction to Brendis's Justice League, where they will where the couple will serve as members. And Ali appears to be a surprise new leader. The couple also starred in a story in the recent Dark Knights NFL special, which sees the prospects of the couple getting remarried again in the foreseeable future. And interestingly, in DC's last special in Spain, in Reverb revived the romantic involvement. So after the new reboot, after the new Fifty Two reboot, put it on the shelf for five years, and he's making a retired return with the Flash story, despite there being a different writer and team in March. <laughs> Why? Yeah, as DC continue, as DC and Marvel continue their expansion to the era of well everything, and saying that everything is canon and nothing really matters. We get more information coming out. Mr. Miracle is returning to the DC Universe in a new DC series when with a new origin story. The new God's resident escape artist, Mr. Miracle, returns in the upcoming May event and with a new six-issue series, Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom, with writer Brandon Eston and artist Fico Oso is picking up the friends from Eston's current Mr. Miracle and Future State Superman Worlds of War anthology, but coming back from Future State with a new origin story for Jack Kirby creation. This series functions as a de facto origin story and a reintroduction of Silo Norman. And Vico and I have a fantastic opportunity to establish him as a major hero in the DC Pantheon while making him a complete, a more complex character. Because he's complex. In this revamp of Mr. Miracle, especially after the hit Mr. Miracle series by Tom King and Mitch Grindis, Mr. Miracle's celebrity magician, Amande Houdini, who is back in with his, of his five minutes of fame and is looking for something more. But with a new showman comes town looking at to outdo what Mr. Miracle made his fame with, and he begins with a challenge, both professional and personal. The series will be exploring dealings with the tappings, trappings of celebrity, his understanding of the Mr. Miracle identity, and his possible connection to the new gods. Uh, Esten continues saying, we'll also dive into what it means to be a black superhero in a world where heroism is in conflict with a society full of distrust and suspicion. And so some images came out for it, some preview information. And it comes on sale on May 4th with the first drawn primary cover by Yannick Paki, who was recently let go DC Comics. So <laughs> seems like something happened. But Matt Sindel on possibly returning to New Japan and enjoying his time with AEW, who he's certainly hoping. Would I love to see Matt Sindel going back there? I actually would. But it'd be pretty damn awesome and would be full of insanity. And because it's Matt Sindel, that means he will fly like an eagle and possibly bounce off the ceiling with rub- as rubber. 
Tom Holland has come out to say that his Uncharted movies are the action scenes are his biggest yet. So, yeah. Uncharted games without fail beat the, as the article states on GameSpot, beat the crap out of their protagonist, Nathan Drake, with over-the-top action sequences. We won't know whether the movie is good until the credits roll, but Tom Holland said the Uncharted film is at least getting his part of the right in the new interview. Oh, saying it's the biggest action sequences he's ever been part of. Uh, the cuts and bruises and bangs he got from dealing with off, dangling off of wires and falling off things was ridiculous. This, yeah, that sounds about right. But that means he's been punched, beaten up, and guy's ass handed to him multiple times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a fun experience. So Steve Cutler was fired. Now, I would say release, but he was really fired. Cutler confirmed today on news saying, Unfortunately, today I have been I was released. It was shocking to say the least, but I'm excited about the future and all the possibilities in front of me. Thank you for the continued support. 90 days, the countdown begins. So yeah, they recently resurfaced in December. Cutler and Wesley break. It has minions of King Corbin on SmackDown because that's going to help. Oh, so what exactly prompted Steve Cutler to be released? It's actually quite simple, really. He got COVID. Now, here's the thing I'm going to be fair about. So, Fightful Select and Dave Meltzer have rather similar yet conflicting reports on what led to the firing. Dave Meltzer states that Steve Cutler hosted a New Year's party. He and Piss event off because of it. And then getting COVID was the straw that broke the camel's back. But ultimately, a... All this was a build-up to the destruction of Steve Cutler's run in WWE. However, Fightful states in their article when I was reading it, and if it's similar, if it's resembling it, okay, and they just worded it differently, fine. But the article clearly states that Steve Cutler getting COVID was the thing that got him fired, not that other logical stuff that he should that he could have been fired for that would have maybe maybe side with Vince. So instead, it's more like a, you got COVID, therefore you have to leave. Which I was very vocal about on the grounds that that's a royally stupid perception. Because now Vince has established a precedent where he can fire someone for simply getting COVID. Which means, if we went with Vince's twisted sense of logic, much like how I went with the twisted sense of logic when they fired Jimmy Jacobs for taking a freaking photo op with the with the Bullet Club of the Elite, I said, okay, Vince, then if we're being serious here, if you're really establishing this president, you would have to fire all of the talent that got COVID in the last several months. You would have to fire Drew McIntyre, your champion. You would have to fire Mia Yim, who confirmed it publicly. You would have to fire Keith Lee, who at best, who at worst, was caught in the crossfire. You would have to fire, at the very least, three-fourths of your entire roster, which means you would have to restructure the company, fire most of your employees, these that aren't even wrestlers. You probably would have to fire Bruce Pritchard, which everyone would probably be all for. So, yeah, Vince, this decision... Where you fire someone strictly for COVID and not for all that logical stuff. That logical stuff where you could have been justified. Now says no one is safe. So if you all get COVID, you have to leave. But that's not what's going to happen. Ricochet's girlfriend or wife, I, I've lost track of that. Casey was caught again posting Instagram videos of her being drunk at parties. And hosting parties. 
and she's still hired. She's still employed. We can't fire her because uh, she's not on the show with Roman Reigns, or because that's the guy we're mostly trying to protect. Oh, she he she's not with the same show that has Ricochet. She she's Ricochet's girlfriend. Therefore, she's protected. Therefore, she can't get fired because then we'll be pissing off Ricochet, even though we felt comfortable firing Serena Vega for stupid reasons. And that obviously pissed off Aleister Black, but we don't care about Aleister Black. He's defiant against us because he has a wife. Yeah, see, see, the, see the domino effect that would happen if Vizman actually believed that the rules applied to everybody. Three-fourths of the roster and a good percentage of his employees, his official employees, not independent contractors, would be also terminated and thus the company would have to greatly restructure his entire roster, cancel several shows that weren't even really much of an importance, and just to give a fresh start initiative. Vince will be selective enforcement, so really who cares at the end of the day for him? So, Marvel got in a huge controversy with Immortal Hulk 43's art following anti-Semitic allegations. And Marvel Comics has pledged to edit a panel in this week's, uh, in the Immortal Hulk issue 43, which contained the content and the background of a scene for future reprints. And it's in the current digital version of the issue as announced and the publishers mailed to retailers. Earth saying Marvel is correcting and reprinting the main and variant editions of Immortal Hulk 43, originally on sale on February 3rd. Requests to return for exchange of the Immortal Hulk with these corrected versions may be, may be made starting today. So, <clears throat> yeah. There was certainly a panel when I was looking at it. I didn't notice it at first because, well, I'm not, other than the Star of David, but I was like, that could be something else. Like, I've seen people... I'm pretty sure people use the star religious symbols for marketing reasons, so that's that was surprising. In our corporate environment, we must exploit everything that comes to mind. And plus, you could have easily made the star, at the very least, was a family business, but the whole text part is where the problem lies. So, in the unedited, unedited form, features Hulk personality Joe Fixit haggling, a, haggling in a jewelry shop. In the background, the window of the shop reads Kronberg's Jewelry, or more accurately, Kronberg's Jewer, with the Y apparently blocked by one of the characters alongside a star, a star David, the summon symbol of the Jewish faith. Taken as a whole, this even includes an anti Semitic. Semitic term jewelry in the relation to the jewelry store alongside the prominent star of David and the haggling conversation and of the characters engaged that appear to invoke anti-Semitic stereotypes historically used to harass and marginalize Jewish people. So yeah, that I at least get. I get that at least. If it was strictly just a symbol of the Jewish people, the star of David, okay, maybe you could interpret that as a family business, but like... The rest of the stuff, yeah, I totally get getting rid of that. But you want more Harley Quinn content coming out? Apparently, there's apparently a new book coming in the development, according to Bleeding Cool. Well, running a series of Infinite Frontier-related scopes, hoops, and relations at the moment. It's just, they, <laughs> yeah. There's the now report going around that DC Comics is set to launch, may be set to launch Harley Quinn and Batman number one with Poison Ivy involved. Whatever it is, whoever it is creating it, they are told, Rich Johnson said they are told that this will be the series that will continue the love story with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy that caused reactions within DC Comics between those who wanted to continue and be a full-fledged romance or those who prefer a more back-to-basics approach where they're friends or Poison Ivy is a completely evil psychopath. And recently teased in the conclusion of Joker War and recent issues of Batman, Harley Quinn and, and, and Poison Ivy's relationship seems to be getting back on track. 
because in ghost in the ghost storyline, they have poison ivy not show up, but indirectly locate help them show where exactly Harley Quinn and Batman went to. So clearly she's listening, and she's clearly now conflicted, because now she probably is aware that, oh, Punchline is the one that burned down her place, not Poison Ivy, like, not Harley Quinn, like it was allegedly assumed. And considering the TV show exists, which was also, that made this whole thing even more confusing, I'm just gonna wonder, what the heck was going on in behind the scenes? I am so curious about what was going on behind the scenes. You got... The comics saying that they're just good friends and said may have been a couple, even though there were stories that established them as a couple in the main continuity. And now you got the TV show saying, oh, they're friends and they come and they become lovers. Yeah. And Harley Quinn is now a second series because once before, Harley Quinn did have two ongoing series before when Harley's Little Black Book was running and had been appearing in a number of Black Label comic books as well, even as her own series was canceled in 2020. The Future State Return seems to have lit a little fire into the Harley Quinn demand, and it seems DC Comics has also realized that that there are enough Harley Harley and Ivy fans out there to keep some, some kind of story going. Or maybe they watch a TV show more or less we as we have it and whatnot. There's also now a rather confusing storyline going on. So before I get to that regarding Black Adam, let's move on let me move on to that. James Tyron the Fourth promises punchline versus flatline in the comics. In his Empire Tiny Onion newsletter, Batman writer James Tyron the Fourth has expressed his excitement at the creation of the character and what it means to DC Comics. For all comics, Batman and otherwise, right now I'm promising some something he'll be offering as well, such as Flatline and an epic battle between Punchline and Flatline. And retailers may want to keep an eye on their Robin number one numbers just ahead of the inevitable release. So get ready for that, everyone. It looks like Robin's coming in. Robin's finally being reunited back into the DC Universe's Bat family. And there's also a report coming out that. DC Comics is, is publishing a, The Infinite Frontier number one the first week of March. But Bleeding Cool can tell, told, uh, told reports, Rich Johnson being the article exclusively, that DC Comics will be following up with The Infinite Frontier number zero with Infinite Frontier number one. And will it be more of the same? Possibly, as the article states, content that wasn't ready for Infinite Frontier number zero, perhaps, setting up other series that will be launching from DC Comics to July. Hey, yes, that sounds like it could be, according to the article. Is this where DC Comics starts to claw things back? And for more conspiracy theorists declaring that DC Comics was closing publishing line in due 2021, that doesn't seem to be the case. So we'll have to see what this secret title is of Infinite Frontier number one. But I have to say I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to wait for that to happen. The writer of John Constantine, Hellblazer, tells Reddit of, of his frustrated plans for DC Comics, saying this, in a, where he talked previously at length. My stupid colossal mistake was I assumed I was still living in the 90s when comics got at least a couple dozen issues to flex their muscles and find the fullest audience before anyone quibbled about it prof- profitably. 
and playing more work on Hellblazer artist Aaron Campbell, he also said, obviously I had more circum circumspect about detail and I indeed working on a couple of new projects with elements of my Hellblazer creative team. Probably more on that later, as of right now, those projects do not include more Hellblazers. Yes, I'm grumpy about that too. Aaron and I continue to work together. We hope to have something to say about that soon. And if we ever see the slightest chink of light, that leads us back to John Constantine. You can be sure we'll take it. Uh, what his plans are for Constantine would have been. And they said that the, one of the big arcs was going to be, and I quote, dead in America. It followed John, Noah, and Nat as they fled across the pond to the States, where John tricks the others into a big important task, which naturally is in fact about saving his own skin, or in the case of, quote, spoilers at the end of Hellblazer, restoring his reanimated but still very much dead body to life before rots beyond repair. Tentative plans to involve certain plant-based individual in the Louisiana swamp, the delightful Slack Sackville, oh, and the long-lost obsidian and core worship by the Emperor whatever of Rome um, a couple of thousand years ago. Fun, fun. So the swamp thing was clearly going to get involved, where more characters were going to be involved, and apparently stuff related to the Roman Empire was going to get involved. Actually, that sounds awesome. DC, bring it back, man. And he also said who he, a character he would like to write in the future. Metron is the greatest DC character DC doesn't even know it's got. Now, allow me to state this for the record. Metron was revived in Death Metal. And I never did talk about this in my Pop Culture Omniversa stuff. But when I saw the Chronicler bring it back, I was like, is he going to factor into this? He never factored into this again. So, what the heck? Was he just there to bring back Metron? Anyways, he also talks about his Green Lantern plans he has in mind. And he's saying, I actually had an effing magnificent pitch for Black Label. We were one of my favorite artists, which was all about separating the Green Lantern mythos from the current DCU continuity in a really cute, respectful way. And telling a complete bonkers, psychedelic, psychedelic sci-fi story about memory, loss, and absolute power. Or, Ah, so we're going to get Palpatine. We all loved it, as included, but it was deemed too hard to sell. We live in the midst of market conditions, which sometimes it's some scene tailor-made to F with the storytellers like me, who aren't very good at doing the obvious thing. Yeah. <laughs> and he also goes on to explain why he isn't writing DC Comics Universe books after Hellblazer Dreaming in Justice League right now. Oh, and the current state of the industry, his plans for a big crossover, saying, uh, DC crossover? I'm actually not going to share my big idea here. Do I have one? Yes, very much so. So, <laughs> yeah, and also his plans for the upcoming X-Men Marvel book, Way of X. This is the way. Are, are they sure that this will be the way? This will be the way of X. So get ready for that. Gearbox CEO reveals why he sold the company for, for sold the Borderlands studio for that month for the huge amount of money because of course he would. Many companies we never worked with would hit us up with a cold call and unsolicited proposal, and I've always been allergic to that. I'm like, if it was from you, that would probably be you saying yes unilaterally without any consent. Yeah, it's more like about constrictive stuff and how what happened to Balborn and man. Yeah, I saying bragging about we've never lost money to us. That part of it, I feel like Neo in the Matrix after he sees it. I just need more capital so we can do this faster, better, stronger, more screw job and pissing Jim Sterling off. Because that's how it works, pissing Jim Sterling off with your lies. So there was more details regarding Cesaro and a news article that really made me mad on the grounds of why. 
man. So, a report came out about Cesaro's contract. On Wednesday, on the Wednesday segment of NRC, which you have already watched, I said that Cesaro's contract is set to expire. Now a report has come out that confirms that by Fightful that, yes, Cesaro has actually resigned. And with the, according to Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer, the former champion signed or verbally agreed to a new deal a few weeks ago, which was backed by Cultaholic as well. Okay, now here's what I'm about to say, and this is just a very important part I'm going to say. I have no qualms with Cesaro deciding to resign. Would I have loved, as a fan, to see him leave and go elsewhere? Wrestle with Kenny Omega, wrestle with Okada, wrestle with Kota Ibushi, wrestle with all these great wrestlers that are outside WWE and be allowed to give the freedom and creativity he didn't really exploit. I would have. But we all have to recall something rather important about Cesaro that's never really brought up about him. He's 40 years old. He's four years old. He's not getting any younger. As impressive as he is, he's probably, you notice he probably can't do this forever. But here's the thing I am going to say about this whole decision. I want Cesaro to never bad talk WWE again. No, he, he can't have it. If he says, if he signs a contract after years of abuse by the creative team and by Vince because he's a wrestler, which is the bane of Vince's mere existence, and he has complained about WWE management in the past, even did a shoot promo on two occasions. One in December about how his year, one back in December of 2014, I believe, where he said it was supposed to be his year. And with the reports that came out, it was definitely supposed to be his year after Daniel Bryan. But then they opted not to do it because he does the swing and Vince hates anything that's organic. So naturally that ended his push. And then you got all this other stuff that came out about how Vince feels about Cesaro and how he was burying him. And then Cesaro had also said, and I quote, no one wants to see John Cena for a millionth time, which is an accurate statement. But he was punished for that and was basic and lost two, the two out of three falls match in a clean sweep. Yeah, this is the same situation Shelton Benjamin that in my opinion was Shelton Benjamin went in. Him signing a new deal is not the problem. Shelton Benjamin opting to re-sign with WWE is not a problem. But when he came out and said, and I quote, I want to do more, I want to contribute more in the ring, I was thinking to myself, you can't have it both ways. If you were able to have it both ways, you wouldn't even be complaining. You can't have it both ways. You either take the money by Vince, or you wait it or you opt for the wait out and see if you can go anywhere else. If you think that if you resign and you will be able to get more respect by Vince, which is hard to do in Vince's world unless you really take action like Roman did, then you, you I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. You can't take the money and expect great thing, great booking decisions to be made. If Cesaro does that, it's falling apart for him. He can't. He won't be able to have this both ways. He either takes the money from Vince to financially secure himself, which I will support, or he leaves. But he opted to resign, so he can't say anything negative about WWE. He if he's gonna because he has to know you can't have this both ways. This does, that's not how this works. In Vince's world, there are no compromises. In Vince's world, everyone is his slave. Ma he's the slave master, and everyone else is beneath him. Which is a huge other can of worms. So, Shinsuke Nakamura has also been getting prominent pushes lately. 
But Dave Meltzer has reported that Cesaro was originally embarked to run the gauntlet on January 8th, but because he hadn't yet resigned, Shinsuke was added to the match as his replacement. But Nakamura's push is planned to only be short-term, though, oh, and his goal in WWE is ultimately to just be making stars. So, yeah, Nakamura's strong performance and face turn... Yeah, he's not getting it. There's no end game for this. He's just there to put new guys over. So, yes, Suzuki has clearly has made his decision not to go back to Japan. He's moved his family to America. So, he's clearly made that decision. If he complains about it, that's a different thing. But, yeah, th- th- that's his choice. He's, that was his decision. Fine. So, back to the gaming industry with Mass Effect Legendary Edition talk. It's basically the biggest part of this whole thing. They are changing some rather camera sh- strange camera shots, shots, or as they were described as gratuitous, where, and even I was like, even I was like this when I played Mass Effect, there are, they're altering some of the camera shots for Mass Effect, specifically stuff like camera cuts that show Miranda's behind. I am still confused. Like, whenever we get a serious conversation with her and when she's talking about really serious messed up stuff going on, for some reason the camera switches to show Miranda's behind in a weird shot and I'm almost, okay, we get it. Miranda's awesome, but why are we having, why are you showing that? It's so confusing. It's just confusing. I'm just, I'm trying to focus on the story here, everyone. We don't need fan service. It's just so out of nowhere. That's just one aspect, but it's just really so weird. I never understood why my Bioware did that in Mass Effect 2 and 3. Oh, my sister's probably going to be killed by a crazy scientist. Oh, what? We got to show a camera over, but... Yeah, that makes sense. We're the, we're, the, we're the storytellers of the future. As in, we're copying the anime industry. Whenever they do weird fan service out of nowhere. <laughs> Oh, man. Bad news, anyways, from the Prince of Persia fans. And so the Sands of Time remake has been delayed indefinitely. <sighs> the game has been delayed following its... The game has been delayed indefinitely. It was previously slated to launch in March. The game. This is the game's second public delay, as it was originally set to be released in January. But now, it has been forced to go into indefinite delay. And thus, we will have to wait a long time, most likely, particularly if the virus is still kicking their butts. Yeah, that sucks. Like, really sucks. But we'll have to. But I'd rather have the game be delayed now, and then be great when it comes out, just as it was said to be by everyone back then. Since this is a remake, not a full remaster. This is a remake, so you might be expecting Final Fantasy VII stuff. <laughs> James Gunn has announced that the Suicide Squad movie is fully finished and cut. I made every single choice and I never once, even once, slightly interfered. They gave very few notes. They were usually good and minor, and I took them if I wanted to and didn't if I didn't want to. Warner Brothers is creatively amazing. James Gunn said that in the tweet. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, except to Zack Snyder, and we know how that went. It took HBO Max launching and them realizing we need as much content out there to get fans on board let's get that snyder cut thing ready so moving on with that peacemaker the hbo max series casts a new character a new actor to play the role of 
So I can't pronounce the person's name. The last name's Lee. And he will be playing the character, the most dangerous threat of the DC universe. Okay, so who is Judo Master? He is the name of four fictional superheroes published in DC Comics. The first one debated in Special War Series 1965 issue number four by Charlton Comics. So he's a Charlton Comics character. So, yeah, he, the first one was Haley Yeager, a sergeant in World War I. No, wait, World War II. Ooh, ooh, and he was killed off during the events of Infinite Crisis storyline when superhero villain Bane broke his back because we had to be gratuitous. We got Thomas Jaeger, er, is the son of Haley Jaeger, er, from whom he inherited the name Judo Master, er, and he's one of the top field agents within Checkmate, within which he is known as the White Knight, and is openly LGBT. He comes in conflict with the, Thomas. We can conflict with them, with Checkmate involved in the elections of Santa Prisca at the request of the UN. Bane, his father's killer, is suspected of you know, ballot stuffing, imitation, and falsifying election results, and whatnot. And he also did some and did some missions for for Checkmate at a time during the Checkmate series. And he also spent time as an undercover Cobra devotee. He also, we got a Justice League quarterly version of him, including Sato, who appeared in Doomsday Clock and a member of Japan's superhero team called Big Monster Action. Because that's a thing. So, yeah, I'd to see what this character brings. Yeah, they wrote in their, in their announcement saying he's very excited to be working with the amazing cast and crew. The writing is phenomenal and hands down the funniest script he ever read. James Gunn is involved with this. Of course, it's going to be hilarious. Yes, yes. The very fact that you would say such bloody things is insulting. Insulting, I tell you. Ooh. And, yeah. Yeah. So, Ethan and Frontier continues to tease in this new era that Jason Todd will finally become a cold-blooded killer. As part of his Batman Urban Legend story, superstar writer Chip Zdarsky, who also who is also writing the critically acclaimed Daredevil series, which I will potentially be reading once the deluxe editions come out, Solicitations read that Chip Zdarsky enters the world of Gotham City with Detective Com with celebrated Detective Comics writer and Robert Eternal artist Eddie Burrows for a six-part story chronicling Red Hood's investigation of a new drug sweeping through the Gotham. It's a night that will change his life forever and put in Batman's crosshairs. As such, Jason Todd may become a full-blooded killer. Yeah, that sounds about right. And as this keeps going on, DC Comics is, let's see, they're also announcing a new new series regarding a new, leads a new black and white future state title called Gotham, stating that Jason Todd, Robert Hood, had betrayed the Magistry, had betrayed the Bat family to the Magistry, and works for a bounty, as a bounty hunter as part of their zero tolerance policy on mass vigilantes. It was said, now it's been announced that Red Hood is going to get his own series for Future State in Gotham, which is host the Future State event, and, and will be coming out, let's see, it will be coming out uh, May 11th on Tuesday. So, for each of that, Red Hood rendered in stark black and white tones. Future State Gotham will involve the green noir aesthetic that reinforces Gotham City as a living, breathing part of any Batman Bat Family story. Hunt the next Batman. This new sex issue debate will is written by is co-written by Justin Leonson and Dennis Culliver. Or, or by by uh <clears throat> by 
get I can't pronounce that name. Disaster strikes Gotham City and all evidence points to Tim Fox, the next Batman. Jason Todd chooses justice over his family and allies when the magistrate enlists him to bring in the new Batman, dead or alive. Featuring the entire cast of popular DC Future State Batman titles, Future State Gotham begins the next chapter in the inevitable world of tomorrow and does so with this dynamic noirish format. So it will be released signing on May 11th, and then featuring the cover by E.S.C. Pure T, here with a card stock variant by Jane Stowe, oak available in comic stores and participating digital retailers. Each 32-page issue sells for $30.99, with the card stock variant for $4.99. So get ready for that, everybody. Get ready for that. So, Marvel's The Eternals director, Chloe Zhao, is set to write direct sci-fi western take on Dracula. So, saying this in an interview, I've always been fascinated by vampires and the concept of the other they embody. I am very excited to work with Donna, Peter, and the team at Universal to reimagine such a beloved character. Count Dracula first appeared in Bram Stoker's gothic horror novel from 1897, Dracula, and Universal is celebrating the 90th anniversary of his Dracula film that debuted in 1931 and starred Belilowski. I am pretty sure I butchered that name wrong, sorry. And I don't know if this is part of the Dark Universe. If it is, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing if it's, if it's the rebirth period for them. But yeah, Fightful also came out with a report about WWE's announcement of the Royal Rumble stuff. So all the big stuff. It was confirmed that 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 Fightful pretty much much what you would expect. WWE and Fox want to do a good viewership number and maximize the partnership deals they already have in place. So, money. That, that sounds about right. In tragic news, Butch Reed passed away on, let's see, what's the date? Eight, wait, what was it? What was it? Around this week. He passed away around this week at the age of 66. A moment of silence, please, for uh, Butch Reed. Okay. WWE has announced their condolences and the wrestling world announced their condolences. This He had wrestled in WWF back then. He wrestled in WCW. He even had a run and was best known for being the rumor name to become the IC champion by defeating Ricky Steebo. The spot that actually went to the Honky Tonk Man. So naturally, Honky Tonk Man took the spot that he was meant to destined for at one point. So he was originally supposed to be the ha- so he was originally supposed to be IC champion and have that big long run essentially, but yeah, plans changed, changed, and thus we have to uh, live with that. But yeah, Butch Reed tragically passed away this week, and yeah, it's a very sad time for a lot of people involved. Wow, this year just really wants to pound the living daylights out of us, doesn't it? So there's so on Wednesday's Dynamite, it was announced that Shaquille O'Neal's AEW matches on Dynamite, why Shaquille O'Neal's matches on Dynamite has been finally revealed, 
that AEW booked the match for March 3rd Dynamite because Shaquille O'Neal will probably be working on the day of the pay-per-view. O'Neal is an analysis for TNT's Inside NBA and the NBA All-Star Game will take, likely take place on March 7th in Atlanta. The match on March 3rd will be Sha- Shaquille O'Neal's previous second professional match, the first one being the previously competed Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania 32, and the four-time NBA champion looked just set face the big show at Future Mania but couldn't agree to a deal with WWE. He is set to face Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet with a teammate with Jay Cargill. Yeah, it was supposed to be planned for Revolution, but as you, the schedules got conflicted, so they had to build it, so they had to change the date. So naturally, you can blame scheduling. WrestleVotes has also announced that the black and gold brand of NXT could have a presence on March on on in WrestleMania 37's card. Saying this, full disclosure, I don't know where discussions stand at this point. However, I do know that several people, including some high up personnel, have talked about having Finn Balor in the NXT Championship at WrestleMania this year, especially considering it is a two night event. So, <clears throat> Karen Cross versus Finn Balor, make it happen. Fall, and, and this will be the closest we get to the bell of the bands. Bray Wyatt's hurt and heel song on Let Me In, and, and Karen Cross's Fall and Pray song. Come on. Fans will be chanting for both songs when they hear it on the intercom. When they hear it on the comms. Yeah. Bianca Belair has announced that she is still emotional. Speaking of Ryan Satin at Fox Sports, saying a match between. Her and Sasha Banks would be very special. She doesn't know who she's going to challenge yet because she's still emotional. I'm pretty sure they're going to go with Sasha Banks. They have to, especially with Phantom. Vince needs all the money, so naturally. But I wouldn't be surprised. But here's the thing I said. Nightmare scenario is that Charlotte defeats Asuka in between the two pay-per-view events that are happening before WrestleMania. And Bianca challenges Charlotte beats her at WrestleMania. And that's where right back where we started. <sighs> Dame Priest also blocked out the rumors of call-ups that were going to happen. It was reported that... Uh, so, back then, before I had done the relaunch, it was reported that Damian Priest was set to come back. It was set to come to the WWE and be Kevin Owens' buddy to fight Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, which was confusing because they have never interacted. And reportedly, Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns were like, Vince, that doesn't make sense. Kevin Owens, shut up! Vince, Roman, you make a damn good point. Let's scrap the idea. So, yeah. So, Damian Priest revealed that he chose to black those rumors out and focus on his work in NXT and revealed that Triple H was the one who informed of his spot in the Royal Rumble and thus made the call. As such, yeah. Damian Priest looks to be set for big things, especially since he's been getting praise from Edge, praise from Kane, and has been working with Bad, Bad Bunny and he and some appearances. Priest may become the big megastar for WWE for a WrestleMania matchup. Up, it may be more successful than Elias was when he was call- after he was called up, because that's what people are pointing out. He has a much bigger. Damian Priest seems like he fits more on the main roster than he does actually on the NXT brand, like Elias. But whereas Elias was given the chance and ultimately was forced to fail because Vince hates organic, Nick. And thus has to, and thus now we have to see Damian Priest can surpass that cycle and break the dreaded cycle of NXT curse. So, anyways, bootlicker Seth Rollins is scheduled to return for the upcoming next week's SmackDown event. And there you have it. Also, update on Roy Harper and the DC Infinite Frontier. So, Bleeding Cold once again runs more stories that 
After Roy Harper's death and resurrection, and it's currently unknown what became of his ultimate fate, Blaine Cole has been hearing a lot about DC Infinite Frontier, especially this year issue out in March, in which DC, in which of course is going to final order cutoff this weekend. I'm pretty sure I butchered, butchered what that FOC means. And you saying that one of the reports is that he is returning. How it is unexplained, but he just is. He is, they were told to watch out for the Green Arrow Black Canary story by Justin Williamson, and and Roy Harper is standing behind someone pro, else, probably in Infinite Frontier number zero. So we'll have to see uh, have to see how that goes. Uh, I'm hoping that Roy Harper's back. In fact, by that logic, does that mean Poison Ivy? There's now two Poison Ivies running around, and there's all these other characters running around. I mean, th- that has to be what, what's going to happen, right? Yeah, just an insane time. Let's move on. We're almost done, everyone, with this week's worth of news. And this is, what, three hours now? Oh, man, I'm crazy. Edge is reportedly pushing for a match against the top WWE star, Daniel Bryan, saying, I'd love to do an Iron Match with Daniel Bryan. There's just so much talent I would love to get in with. It's just really fun for me because I see them get wide-eyed because we are having this cool special moment, and I want more of those. Edge versus Daniel Bryan. Okay, Vince, how much do I have to pay you for this? By not paying you $10 million. Let's get that straight. We need this match. I want to see this match. Plus, it's Daniel Bryan. He can make Edge safe. He can protect Edge. Edge, despite Daniel Bryan's own risk. In fact, he's a professional war about breaking his own neck at times. breaking, Trying to do crazy stunts and breaking his own neck at risks. Risk at times. So, I say Edge has a shot at being safe. Since Daniel Bryan has been more relaxed in style since, well... He came back. Except he would have moments of going a little overboard. So Mass Effect and Drama has been announced had announced had been revealed. So yeah, Mass Effect and Drama has been talked about for the first time in this whole thing, I think. <laughs> that one of the biggest criticisms of Mass Effect and Drama was the lack of alien species, especially when the Mass Effect trilogy introduced to so much. So it was announced that there were actually going to be 10 new alien species that were cut from the game due to budget, scope. Oh, so naturally you would be like, oh, that's understandable. Budget, scope, especially since this was Bioware's B team. So naturally they weren't given the resources like the main Bioware team would have been given. So yeah, that's perfectly understandable. They also cited that it was also for cosplay purposes. Stupid. You do realize we live in a world where there's a person walking around dressed up as General Grievous, like 100% movie accurate General Grievous? Yeah. Yeah. And... And some of the writer of uh, who and one of the senior writers of Mass Effect Three and wrote parts of the drama says, "I think it was a project that couldn't have possibly lived up to expectations." And was, oh my God. They said not just the high bar of the original trilogy, but the logical expectations anyone would have of Mass Effect going to a whole new galaxy because of the scope of the first Mass Effect was so incredibly massive that it was an inherent promise that you'd be getting a massive new experience with time new things in what was supposed to be the first Mass Effect in drama: new species, new lore, and a new galaxy of your fingertips. Okay, then delay the game for a year. You could have delayed the game for a year, added all this extra content, damn the whole, increase the budget, and damn the whole excuse of, we need to be considerate of cosplaying. 
Well, when someone dresses up incredibly accurately like General Grievous. Yeah. Also, more Wildstorm characters are arriving into the DC Universe. In Urban Legends and all these other titles, certain characters in the Wildstorm Universe are coming back, such as Apollo and Midnighter, who were in the Authority in my Pop Culture Omniversa videos. Those... Along with that, Death Blow, Team Six, and Marlowe are set to arrive in the DC Universe as well, returning from their Wildstorm days after disappearing in the New 52 era. So look forward to that, everybody. Especially since Cole, Cole uh, Drifter is back, back in the Batman books and hanging out. So there was a report Bleeding Cool posted saying that Black Adam will be coming, is yet to be renamed as Sazadam. Which is just sounding stupid entirely. But there is reports that conflicted this by CBR, IGN, and even Brian Michael Bendis saying that, no, that's stupid, that's not actually real. Old CBR confirmed that this is not actually planned and that, and Brian Michael Bendis said, quote, rumors are stupid. What exactly is going on? So one of the things that I did see when Bleed Cool posted the article about their response saying, why did we think DC Comics was calling Black Adam says Adam? It's because there's a panel in the Justice League segment of the Infinite Frontier, it seems, seems because they get these leaked informations that, but that, but saying that one late last night, eight at the time of this article, at the time that article is writing, one retail who actually read an advanced copy from DC Comics' this Infinite Frontier took pity on us, although telling him he never saw anything from, for him to use and never would again, he was perplexed by the size and outright denials they were getting. And so these are indeed the pages of Infinite Frontier out in March with red lines that hide from where it came from, which confirms the story that Black Adam would be renamed as Adam. This is one of the things that mixed for me. It seems like when I looked at the images and it said some person, a civilian, calling Black Adam as Adam. Okay, there are two things you can take away from that. Either A, they are in fact calling him as Adam, or B... And this could make more sense is that since everyone's still more familiar with Sazam and the fact that Brian Michael Bendis is confusing, Ng's continuity history is very loosely based correctly. It could easily be seen that maybe, just maybe, that he written that line as a joke by one by a person recording him. Because Black Adam has never been a public face in the public. I like it's not like he's the leader of Kandark and and been to the United Nations on multiple occasions, even attacking it during Doomsday Clock. That never happened. So I can believe that Brian Michael Bendis might have had a fan, may have had a car- a, 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 a pedestrian call him says Adam. And thus, because he clearly thinks Black Adam is a hidden figure and has never been in the public eye before, even though he has been in virtually every single iteration of the DC Universe, from New 52 to Rebirth, all the way up to now. And even that confusing time period where the continuity was playing Ring Around the Rosie, Pocket Full of Posies, Ashes to Ashes, we all fall down. So, there was a one big announcement I wanted to end this podcast on. It has been announced on February 4th. The deal is done. Wrestling Observer News Radio, Dave Meltzer, 
has said that a deal is done. AEW, All Elite Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling has now officially signed a working relationship deal. And Meltzer said that I know people that can't wait to go back to Japan, put it that way. The biggest factors that are stopping it from being fully realized is the virus and the policies and guidelines that have been enacted. As such, Kenta is showing up on U.S. soil oh, and has been wrestling in New Japan Strong. As such, he and Moxley are interacting on that show, which means Khan can get what he wants and a deal has been struck. AEW! So, really look at it from this perspective. AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, National Wrestling Alliance... Impact Wrestling, with the potential for AAA and New Japan Pro Wrestling's sister company that they acquired, Stardom, all working together in harmony, creating the ultimate universe of characters and stories. My God. This business is about to pick up. Like I kept saying, should we start popping the champagnes, everyone? Should we start popping the champagnes? Okay, we'll wait for a little bit, but then we'll pop the champagnes later. But we're already freaking out enough as it is because Kenta just kicked down the Forbidden Door. So yes, it is officially confirmed officially. The Forbidden Door has been opened, aka kicked down by Kenta, because of course Kenta would do that and Hiroshi Tanahashi failed. Well, he has kicked down the Forbidden Door and now they are striking. AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Impact, NWA. All have wor are working together in the massive conglomerate alliance. We have a potential for AAA and stardom to get involved as well in this. I am hyped. Hyped. So it was such a, we will celebrate this with ending this podcast. So everyone, this was the Neo Reality Collective of this week of the first week of February. Stay tuned for more episodes down the road and more structuring formatting. And we'll probably also be playing more additional content for bonus episodes down the road for this. I'm experimenting with how the recording structure should go. Oh, so right now this looks to be a stable environment. We record the first week of stuff on Wednesday and record the last half of stuff on Saturday. A with an eye to release episodes every Sunday. As such, these were all my collective thoughts on all the news that came out this week in the world of pop culture, wrestling, gaming, and all that insanity that comes with it. This was Neo Reality Entertainment NRE represented by Eric Brown. Feel free to check out my other podcasts, my other content channels. We'll donate to the brand. Make sure to stay in touch and follow. Stay tuned for more, and I'll see you all next time. Peace. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you all next time. And just remember, everyone, there is no fear now. The forbidden door has finally opened. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.